your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I think we're an entirely different team when Colton Preco is even a shadow of himself, whether it be injury that we saw last year or there was probably a two-week period this year where he just looked a little out of gas. And then there's been a two-week period that he has been, uh, honestly, he's been a beast on skates. And when he's like that, you know, he's challenging the other team's best players. He's defending like that with that long stick and stripping pucks. I, I think the Blues just, I think that's when the Blues are playing Blues hockey when he's going that way. Well, we're about to find out exactly how indispensable Colton Pareko is for the St. Louis Blues. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. That voice you just heard was Darren Pang about a month ago talking about who he believed to be the Blues' most indispensable player, Colton Pareko. Alex, we've gone through all of these guys, right? We said at a time, hey, maybe it's Pavel Buchnevich. Maybe it's Vladimir Tarasenko. And we found out that the Blues have been able to overcome basically everybody that has missed some time in the lineup. So far this year, they're 3-0 when Buchnevich doesn't play. They're 2-0 when Tarasenko's out of the lineup. 1-0 when they're missing Barbashev. 3-0-1 without Saad. 5-1-1 without Thomas. 7-2-2 without Perron. 2-1-1 without Cairo. And 2-1-1 without Ryan O'Reilly. All guys that... You could make a case. Those guys are super important for what the Blues are trying to do offensively and for some of them, what they're doing on the PK as well. Well, Colton Pareko leads your team in time on ice. And Alex, in terms of five on five play, he is second in the NHL right now in terms of total time that he has played on the ice. Brent Burns is the only player that's played more than him. one extra minute, and he's played an extra game compared to Colton Pareko. And Brent Burns, they basically play as if they have two defensemen. It's Burns and Carlson that only plays for San Jose. The top five right now in the NHL are Burns, Pareko, Petrangelo, Hedman, and Yossi. So Petro and Pareko, those Burns, those are the types of guys that are eating up all of the minutes. And now for the first time this season, we're about to see what the Blues' blue line looks like without him. What are you expecting tonight against, albeit a less than great opponent that you're going up against in the Seattle Kraken? Yeah, this feels like a trap game, though. Um, And what I mean by that is these are the games that everyone expects the Blues to come away with two points, and then they come in and they just beat the hell out of you. Uh, Don't forget Seattle did play last night and they lost to Dallas, so this is going to be a ticked-off team coming into this. What I expect out of this, look, let's all be honest with ourselves. Has Colton Pareko looked like a number one defenseman this season? No. No, he hasn't. 
He is much better than people are giving him credit for, though. Sitting at a minus 11 right now. But as you mentioned, BK, he is playing the most minutes on this Blues roster. Top two, well, second, right behind Brent Burns at even strength, like you mentioned. He has been all over this team this season. He's played with Scandella. He's played with Wallman, Perunovic. The only person I don't think he's played with is Justin Falk, and that's because both are on the right side, and they've taken shifts together. Well, you could try it, though. You probably could try it, although people called me an idiot when I talked about that a couple of months ago. Anyway, what I expect is I expect to have a little bit of a bumpy road in this circumstance because when you take the... When you take the key piece out of your roster, it's going to affect some things. This is the guy who knows the system on the defensive side. This is the guy that plays 25 minutes a night for you. But I don't know if it's going to be as big of a slip up as people are making it out to be. Because I think Justin Falk has played better than Colton Braco this season. Tori Krug is looking like a top defenseman on this Blues roster. Nico Mikola, look, despite that Pittsburgh Penguins game where I thought he had a rough night, he and Colton Pareko eliminated the Washington Capitals offense. They eliminated the Edmonton Oilers offense. They shut down the Dallas Stars offense. Mikula's improving. The part that I'm curious about is how Scandella matches into this. That's the thing that I think you're really going to find out over these next few games is how does it, how does Marco Scandella live up to these higher expectations now that they need him to be a top four guy. So the pairings tonight, based on what they were yesterday at practice, Mikola and Falk, Scandella, Krug, Rosen, Bortuzzo. Wallman was the extra defender yesterday. He is back on the ice. It looks like no Perunovic, no Tarasenko tonight. You're going to be without David Perron, Vladimir Tarasenko, Braden Shin as well. So you're without five of your typical starters. Your fourth line is going to be Walker, Bozak, and Costin based on what they did last night or yesterday at practice as well. And it sounds like Ville Husso getting the start in net. By the way, JR reporting Wallman's the one that's starting. Interesting. So he'll get the start with Bortuzzo on mm-hmm. that left side. That's what I would imagine. And that the only reason it surprises me is because and Tanner mentioned this during the break. It's been a while since he has skated. So I do wonder how much time you're going to see him and Bortuzzo on the ice. I wonder if they'll take it easy on on Wallman just from that perspective. Not because they don't think he's good enough, but conditioning, I've got to imagine that's going to be tough. I think you'll probably start to see he'll get even ice time in that first period. But as the second and third period go along, you'll see them cut it down to five defensemen. Yeah, that's how I would see. I am surprised that they didn't go with Rosen because when they called him up and put him on the taxi squad, I thought that was... A, it showed that Prunovich wasn't going to be ready, and Prunovich has been ruled out for tonight. But then it also, to me, showed that, okay, we want to have someone that's going to probably at least get a game before Wallman comes back because I don't remember the last time Wallman played, and I didn't, I didn't even know he was on LTIR until about a week ago. So that tells you it's been a while since he's been skating. So I am a little shocked to see them go with that. I would almost rather go with Rosen, but I understand why they're doing it. Yeah, and then back to your Huso point, BK, where it looks like he's the one that's getting the start. This makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, one, Huso's played great. Two, you play three games in the next five days, and two of those three are against some really tough opponents in Nashville and Toronto. I want my number one ready for those two games. I don't know what my roster is going to look like if Tarasenko and Perunovic are back, if Pareko can come out. I doubt he would be available for the Toronto game, but I guess you never know. I want Bennington there. This is a perfect spot to put Ville Husso in to get him another chance to go out there and perform the way he's done and to continue to win games for the Blues. And then you go to Jordan Bennington and say, now's your shot. Now, this is the number one guy. We need our number one guy. And speaking of getting a shot, that's what's happening right now with Nico Mikola. We have talked a ton on this show, and I know Blues fans everywhere have been talking about this. 
when and where can the Blues get that top pairing defenseman? Who's the trade guy? Who's the candidate that you like the best? It's almost as if we were talking about the Cardinals last year with their big bat, right? We talked all year. Hey, how, how do they get the big bat? Who's it going to be? Where do they get it? How do they acquire it? It's the same conversation that we're having for the Blues, really. And Nico Mikula has played pretty darn well thus far. I remember a month ago, Alex, I'm pretty sure this was on your post game show. You were talking with Chris Kerber. It was exactly one month ago today about the Blues needing more physicality from their blue line. And here's what Chris Kerber had to say about that. This wasn't a post game show. I, I don't think that our team has enough bite defensively no. yet. I don't I don't think there's enough there's enough threat of punishment or enough nastiness on, on, on the team. And I think other teams come into our zone and get a little too comfortable. So I think that's an area of growth that they have. But you had to wonder, do you have that player in, in Nico Mikola? That was coming off of a three to two overtime loss against Anaheim. Where they did just go to the front of the net and bullied you around. Since then, man, you can say a lot of things about Nico Mikola. Saying that he hasn't been physical, uh-uh, that ain't a fair criticism because he's shown the physicality at all times. Alex, my question to you, though, is, is this a guy that right now, because this Blues team's trying to win a cup, they're not talking about what he's going to be in 2024. Is Nico Mikola right now ready to be that top pairing defenseman? And can he do anything for you over the next month to prove to you that he can be that guy? Or is this just a situation where all of us, it's almost an insurance policy where you're just going to feel more comfortable if they go out and get that veteran to place into that spot? I think for a lot of people, it's going to be that insurance policy. Now, I think for me personally, what I would need to see from Mikola is continuing what he has done these last couple of games. I'm looking at the Minnesota Wild game, that winter classic. I'm looking at the the uh, Washington Capitals game, and I'm looking at the Dallas Stars game. The Pittsburgh Penguins game, that was a rough night for him. You don't want to see any more of those. But if I see the way that he's performed against Edmonton, Minnesota, Washington, and Dallas, four of the last five games, he and Pareko shutting down that top line, I don't think it's necessary for me to go out there and get a Jacob Chikrin because I think Mikel is going to get there. I don't know if it's necessary for you to go out and trade for a guy that will be playing top minutes for you. I think it would be more necessary if Mikola continues to trend in this direction. I think it would be more necessary to go get a depth piece on defense, a guy who can play the third pairing and be somebody who rotates in there with Scandella and Bortuzzo if one of those guys are struggling. Or maybe you still trade Scandella and you bring in somebody like a Ben Sherrod or a Mark Giordano who can play a lot of minutes. But if Mikola continues this trend uh, in shutting down the top lines for the opponents and you feel comfortable with it, yeah, I think for me, for Doug Armstrong, it's going to change the opinion of, okay, do I want to spend my entire future in picks and prospects to go get a guy that might be a little bit better than Nico Mikola? Or I just want to get something that complements my defensive core. I think that's what I'll be looking at these next few games, especially against Toronto and Nashville. See, for me, I'm the opposite. I'm going all in on still going for a big defenseman, even if Mikola continues to develop, because then I can move Mikola to that third pairing, and I feel solid with my top six, especially if it's a chicken that I'm getting. If it's a Giordano and you're going to put him up into that top pair and then Mikola's uh, going to that third pairing and then Giordano's just the rental... I would feel better saying Mikel is going to be in the top four or on that top pair next year rather than saying, I know he's played well this year. He's going to be there in the stretch run for us and in the playoffs just because he's so green and this is his first time going through it at, at the NHL level. No matter what, I want to go get the big fish because, like we've mentioned multiple times, this is the deepest I've been a forward. If I can make that defense just as deep and improve it, then I think the Blues become Stanley Cup favorites. That's where I'm at as well. 
I like what we've seen from Nico Mikola. I think he provides something that this team needed desperately. Alex, we talked all offseason about your favorite mongoons. Yeah. That could come in and give you some physicality and size on the blue line. Well, that's been Nico Mikola so far. He's played that role. I just want to have a little bit more comfortability that when you get into the postseason and you're going up against some of the best of the best, I want to believe that my top pairing can shut them down. And I hope Nico Mikola could be that guy. I'm not sure I believe it just yet. Could he be that guy a year, two years, three years from now? Yeah, I think that's very much in his future. I think he could be that guy for you. But I'm trying to win now. And in that scenario, I think you still, regardless of what you see from Mikola over the next month or so, I think you have to add insurance to what this team is right now. I will say his performance could change you from needing to go out there and get a Chikrin to needing to go out there and get that second tier Ben Sherratt type of player that you've been talking about, Alex. Like That's what he could change for you because maybe you don't need an answer at the top of the blue line for the next three years. Maybe you just need it for the next three months. And if that's the case, first of all, you get to spend much less in terms of prospects in draft pick capital. And also, you, you don't need a guy that's got term on his contract. So Mikula can change things for my future. I'm not sure his performance over the next month, month though, can change much for the present. And that's where I'm at, too. I think over these next few games, and again, I'm looking specifically, I'm not focusing on tonight, although tonight's still an important game. I'm looking at Saturday and I'm looking at Monday. If you don't have Colton Pareko, then you're really going to see what one Justin Falk and Nico Mikula are both in terms of top four defensemen. But if they struggle, if they can't stop that offense on both sides and they just look like the inferior team, then I'm still thinking I need a Jacob Chikrin because Mikula, yeah, he might be a top four, but maybe he's destined to be a third pairing defenseman in his future and with the opportunity to move up like a Carl Gunnarsson was for the Blues. But if he looks like he's up to the task, and again, look at the numbers. He eliminated Connor McDavid's line against the Edmonton Oilers. He eliminated the Jamie Benn line against the Dallas Stars. And he eliminated Ovechkin and Kuznetsov against the Washington Capitals. If he continues that, I'm not trading for Jacob Chikrin. Because next season, I don't need a Jacob Chikrin. I got Mikula there. This season, I need a Ben Sherratt. That makes more sense to me than still going out and getting a Jacob Chikrin if Mikula looks to be improving. What's interesting with Mikula in the last 10, he's a, as you mentioned, he's played really well. He's only a minus one. And I was like, okay, well then that's actually solid. Then what, then, so what's Against the pairing, those opponents? What, then the pairing with Preko must be working. Preko's a minus six actually in the last 10, which is an interesting thing to see considering they're paired up most of the time. Yep. I, I do believe Mikula can be a top four defenseman. I just don't know if it's this year and the, just the way things have worked out. If we were talking about the Blues as a team that you know, we only had a top six, then that third and fourth line had a massive drop-off, then it'd probably be a year where I say, okay, this is the time to let Mikula grow into it. But because they're so deep and we've seen them play as well as they have when they are healthy, and even when they're not healthy, I think to me it's the year that you have to go all in. We'll see Mikula in an even bigger role once again tonight. Blues versus Kraken pregame coverage right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN with Alex Ferrario begins at 6 o'clock. Alongside Alex and Tanner, I'm Brandon. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. In 15 minutes, Doug Armstrong had some really interesting comments yesterday about Robert Thomas to our Blues insider, uh, Jeremy Rutherford. We'll pass those along to you and discuss what it means for the way that the Blues build around Thomas in the future. That's coming up at 1130. But next, man, there are some really interesting comments coming out right now from Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. Guys, I'm going to make a bold prediction about the Colts offseason. We'll do it next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. comments coming out right now. Chris Ballard, the general manager for the Indianapolis Colts, is having his end-of-season press conference, right? All the general managers do this once their team's eliminated. Rebuild. And Ballard's meeting with the media today. You laugh. I actually think that's in play for them after oh. hearing these comments. Let me guess. Is he taking a shot at his quarterback? Oh, yeah. Oh, there it is. Carson Wentz, two for two, ladies and gentlemen. Man, I Dude, can't blame him. Carson Wentz must be the worst. Like, just the absolute worst to work with. Chris Ballard is a... He typically will shelter his players publicly. Like, he's not going to throw so them under the bus. He's pretty calm. This is what he said when asked about the winch trade. Quote, at the time of the decision, we felt good about it. I still don't regret it. Look, we embarrassed ourselves. We embarrassed our owner. We embarrassed our city. We won't overreact, but we're going to evaluate everything. We're not perfect. We're not. We screwed things up. Oh, how about this one? Dang. Ballard saying to Wentz yesterday, make the layups. Make the layups. Make the layups. Three times. Three times the charm. He's I can't tell not going to be not. the starting quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts next year. Or should he be? If, I don't know if he's going to be a starting quarterback for anybody next year. I think somebody will take a chance just after, as an upside after play. After two teams? Dude, there's so many teams that just have terrible quarterback situations that I think somebody will Carolina. convince themselves. <sighs> I don't think they can do it after what oh. happened this year with Darnold. Carolina's made too many mistakes over. They brought in Cam Newton to be their guy. Yeah. I like mean, how the, many more dumb mistakes can you make? I think somebody will convince themselves that he's their answer. Like somebody that misses out on the Russell Wilson and um, Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. The Giants, for example. I can see the Giants being like, you know what? We're going to have him come in and compete with Daniel Jones. Does he get a Trubisky treatment, though, where he just gets brought in to be the backup quarterback behind a guy who is really good, and then the following year he gets to be the starter again? Maybe. That's what I can see happening. I can see being the Jameis treatment. Remember, Jameis went to New Orleans. He was behind Drew Brees for a year, and then the next year the plan was for him to take over. Something like that, maybe. Maybe. They got Blaine Gabbert. I mean, he's probably maybe at the something same like level, that. Mizzou but, yeah. legend. I I don't think at this point, co- coming off of these comments, I don't think you can have him as your quarterback next year. Well, obviously no. not. When you're G, I mean, unless the GM's going to be getting fired, which I don't foresee happening. I no. mean, you can't you can't make these comments and then go right back to him next year. Problem is, I don't know how hard because he's got a massive contract. I, don't I think know. it's tradable. Actually, is it? I think you have brought this up before. I think it's. 14 in dead cap, if I'm uh, not mistaken. BK, somebody would like to know if you think Wentz is no, on the same level it. as nope, Aaron nope, Rodgers. Nope, 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 I don't. Um, miserable, <laughs> miserable, you know what. Yeah. If you trade Carson Wentz early in the offseason, you could save $28 million. All of it comes off of the, the Colts cap. So somebody would have to take on a lot of money. They would have to do what the Rams do when they moved golf, is you're going to have to put a first-round pick on it. Probably. Yeah, they're going to have to add in something. Remember the Brock Osweiler trade? From the Texans oh, well, to the Browns. A, there's a name from the past. They like, it was Osweiler. Wasn't it like a second? And a second round pick yeah. for like a sixth round pick or something like yeah. that. Something Yikes. like that is going to have to be the way that it goes. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets cut. They could save $13 million against the cap. It's $15 million in dead money. So I would not be surprised if Carson Wentz gets cut this offseason. He was terrible in that game against the Jags. Now, great. I don't think all of it was on him no, watching I that mean, game. He had the games offensive this line season. was terrible. He that had game. games this season where he's actually looked pretty decent. 
I mean, you got me back on board. Four moments. Here's a question for you. What about Pittsburgh? Ben's going out. You don't have an answer at the quarterback position. If you don't feel like there's a first-round quarterback this year that's worthy of starting for you and you miss out on the top end, guys, I think you could do worse than Carson Wentz as an option. That would have to be him getting cut, though, because I'm not trading assets and giving him that $28 million or do contract. You, if you're Pittsburgh, do you take a chance with Haskins? I would rather have Wentz. Yeah, I saw the Haskins thing, and it was I, I worse just, than Wentz. If I'm a team that wants to still be a contender next year, I'm not I'm not taking a shot on Carson Wentz. I mean, I've gone two teams now that have just I'm not sure the Steelers three. are a contender <laughs> next year. They're in the That's playoffs. Fair. I'm not yeah. sure they're a contender. I'm Clarify. They're not a contender this year. Whoa. Okay. We Eight were all rooting for a tie. Let's be Man, honest. And I hope the Steelers just wipe the floor with your Chiefs. <laughs> Let's continue with some NFL quick hitters. Guys, who's the NFL coach that this postseason has the most to gain? They, they're the coach that has the most to prove to you based on how they do in the postseason. Who's that, who's that coach for you? I, I think it's Sean McVay. I mean... And I don't think he's going anywhere. Like, if he loses in the first round, he's not going to get fired. But, I mean, you talk about regression. That's what he's been doing. I mean, what was it? His first year he was Super Bowl, yeah. right? And then yeah. the next year he was... I think he, he got bounced in the second round. And then the year after, they got bounced in the first round, right? I don't know if they've been bounced in the first round under McVay. Oh. So maybe it's two second round bounces? Because last year they got to the second round because they lost in Green Bay. I don't remember what happened the year before. Wasn't that the year that they beat the Saints in the first round and then lost the second round? I don't know, man. I don't know. Uh, they lost in the wild card, one lost in the Super Bowl, and then they went to the divisional round. So okay, that's where regardless, so I would go with him because I mean I think that's regression, especially for everything that they've thrown at the wall with this trading all of these assets. You don't have a first rick, a first pick until uh, three thousand twenty-two. So it's accurate. That's an accurate, accurate exaggeration. So I'd say he's the one with the most. Mine's Cliff Kingsbury because good one. to me, I know we talked about it, but. Would the Cardinals consider firing? You look at the pool now and you probably say no, but look at where they were. We were talking about them as the team to beat in the NFC. And then I think, if I'm not mistaken, they lost like three of four or three of five to end the year. And they fall out of the NFC West conversation. They end up losing it to the Rams. And now they're a wild card team. They're going on the road. To me, it's Cliff Kingsbury because this, is, this isn't the first time this has happened. He has a track record of teams falling apart him at Texas uh, Tech and now here in Arizona. How about Mike McCarthy? Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys has a team that should be able to go on a run here. But you look at what he's done in the playoffs, his resume. I mean, the guy had Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback and they could never seemingly get over the hump other than in 2010. That was the only year. Other than that, they just couldn't quite get it to get over the hump. So I'm going with Mike McCarthy as the guy who he's taken a lot of arrows over the last five to 10 years. And most of them have been deserved. I don't know that he's done a great job with the Cowboys this year, but he's been fine. He hasn't been a problem in, in necessarily most of the time. I'm going to go Mike McCarthy as my guy, but I do really like Cliff Kingsbury because I, I am still hesitant on him. They Another one that I would throw their last five. Yeah, it's not good, man. And that's been a trend. There's been a lot that's been written about how he struggled down the stretch of Texas at Texas Tech as well. The other one that I would go with is uh, Taylor at in Cincinnati. Really? Yeah, man. If you... In terms of the most to gain, if they go on a run and end up in the Super Bowl, anybody who questions Zach Taylor, including myself, I'm part of this group. How could you possibly question them anymore with what he's done this year, getting them to 10 and 7, getting into the playoffs, being one of the hottest teams going into the playoffs? And then if he's able to go on a run as well. Yeah, man, it's it's hard for me to question what you're doing. And by the way, they've got a really good setup. 
they have the Raiders in the first round. And then after that, if things go as planned, you get Buffalo and Kansas City advancing. They will play each other. The Bengals would then play Tennessee in Tennessee. That's a winnable game for Cincinnati. And then they play only one of the Chiefs and the Bills, who I think are the two best teams in the AFC right now. So their path actually isn't terrible to getting to the Super Bowl. So I'd go Zach Taylor as the coach that potentially has the most to gain in the AFC as well. Let's continue with some NFL quick hitters. Guys, what do the 49ers do if Jimmy Garoppolo actually comes through in the playoffs? We talked about Carson Wentz and how I don't think that the Colts are going to be able to bring him back next year. What about the Niners? You just took a quarterback in the top five. Now you find yourself in the playoffs. Jimmy G's played really well down the stretch. What do you do? Trade him because then you get more assets for him. I I think this I think that's the best case scenario for San Francisco. You drafted Trey Lance with the expectation of moving Jimmy G at some point because Lance was going to be the guy. If he gets them to a Super Bowl, if he wins them a Super Bowl, I think you have to still trade him. And I think you're going to get more out of it, which is only going to help San Francisco be an actual consistent contender. I don't know how you keep him and just continue to tell Trey Lance, we're just going to sit behind him. See, I would almost A, keep Jimmy Grappler, or B, even consider trading Trey Lance cool. while his value's there. Because to me, I look at Trey Lance, I mean, he threw the ball 57, 57 completion percentage this year. I mean, I was not impressed in the games that I saw Trey Lance play, and I get it. It was his rookie year, and he only played one college game, I think, the year before. But if Jimmy G takes you on a run, to me, Jimmy G's your quarterback. Kyle Shanahan pretty much said that this past weekend against the Rams. He said, hey, he's healthy. He's our best option. So right there, Kyle Shanahan's already viewing him as your best option. He takes you on a run. You have to keep him. And then, to me, you have to look to move Trey Lance because otherwise you're going to have the Jordan Love treatment all over again where it's, oh, yeah, we got this this great young quarterback. He's going to sit behind Rodgers and learn. We see him in two games, and he loses to the Lions, and he looks terrible against the Chiefs. So, to me, if Jimmy G plays well, you got to look to move Trey Lance while his value's high. This is the Chiefs with Alex Smith whenever they took Patrick Mahomes in the first round. But next year, you got to trade him. You have to. You've got to clear the path for that rookie quarterback, that second-year guy once he ends up there. If you believe in him, that's what you do at least. The Packers, I think it's pretty clear, don't believe in Jordan Love. That's why they kept Aaron Rodgers around and why they continued to do so despite all of the noise that was surrounding him. The 49ers, I think, have to trade Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason. That's the team Pittsburgh should be calling. That's a great, great connection. That's the team Pittsburgh should be calling. And Indianapolis, honestly. Yeah. I think he's better than Carson Wentz. I mean, from the way that Ursay, or not Ursay, from the way that uh, the Colts GM's talking, that, I don't know how you blow it up with those players, but that sounds like you're blowing it up. At least Pittsburgh, you're still going to be competing, like it or not. See, I think Indianapolis, that, I actually think they have a better future next year than Pittsburgh does. Uh, I agree with I that agree. 100%. But I, I think I just they just don't need get a that, quarterback. I just don't get the feel from the way he's talking. I think he's talking about Carson Wentz. I think he's basically saying we made a mistake in going all in on Carson Wentz. And I do wonder if that's going to become a, a friction point for Frank Reich and Chris Ballard yeah. because that was Reich's boy. Reich wanted him. And Ballard went all in alongside him. And it could be the, the downfall of both of them if things don't get repaired quickly in I, Indy. I said at the beginning of the year, I thought that Frank Reich would be on the hot seat if it didn't work with Wentz because of that. And I said that with uh, Matt Rule. And I love he went Reich. And I think he's a Sam really Darnold. good coach. I agree. I, I think Frank Reich's a great coach. And I said that with Carolina, too, because remember, Matt Rule basically said, yeah, we need to go get Sam Darnold because we can pass on these first-round quarterbacks. And guess who was on the hot seat? Luckily, he survived, too. Yep. 
It's a good point. Once you go all in on anything in the NFL, you've you putting the pressure on yourself. It's like the Cardinals this year going all in on Ole Marmol. The, the pressure is on the front office now as a result of that. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But Doug Armstrong had a really interesting comment about Robert Thomas and the one area of Robert Thomas's game that even to this day still surprises Doug Armstrong. We'll tell you what that is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. That is Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex Doug Armstrong. You rarely hear comments like this from him. And earlier today, there was a piece that went up on The Athletic. Jeremy Rutherford is the author of this piece. It's it's really good. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend checking it out. He talked with Doug Armstrong about the way that the forwards have been constructed for the Blues. And we talked yesterday about how, man, this is why Army built the team the way that he did. They are super deep. And if you're looking at the teams that have five goal scorers with at least 10 or more goals so far this year, it's only two of them. It's them and Colorado. So they're they're as deep as any team in the league right now. And Army was asked specifically about Robert Thomas and what we've seen from Thomas and what I think is probably going to go down as his breakout season. Here's what Army had to say. He said, quite honestly, I didn't give him enough credit for the elite passer that he is. I knew he was a great passer, but he actually might have a next level as a passer. He has a chance to make himself a lo- and a lot of guys money because he puts the puck on guys' sticks at the right time. I think the next level for Robert is to find ways to score himself, but his passing skills, what I see him do in practice some days, I just shake my head and say, wow, where did that come from? End quote again. That comes from Doug Armstrong. You don't hear that kind of praise from him very often. Sometimes he'll do it for like a Ryan O'Reilly. We heard it a couple of years ago when he was all in on Colton Pareko, but it's pretty rare that he goes all in on a player and one ability specifically on a player like that. And Alex, I remember talking with you last year. We were talking about Robert Thomas, and he was on a line at the time with like, I think it was like Sonny and Barbie or something like that. It, it was two guys that are more middle six type of wingers that were with him. And I said, man, I, I don't think that this is the way that you maximize the skill set that Robert Thomas brings to the table. And the line that they have him on tonight, I think this might be a preview of what you see for the next three years with Robert Thomas. They've got him with Jordan Cairo and Brandon Saad. Those guys are finishers. Jordan Cairo is an elite level goal scorer right now. Brandon Saad, yeah, he's got his deficiencies when it comes to what he's doing as a passer. But if he's playing with Robert Thomas, man, I don't need him to pass the puck. Because <laughs> Thomas ain't scoring, but Saad's one of the best scorers on the team right now. He's just going to park himself in front of the net, and you're going to get some deflections. It's going to be perfect. I think this is a great line, and I think that what you're seeing is that the Blues have found out, okay, this is how we maximize whatever the peak potential is for Robert Thomas. Maybe he's never going to be a 10 to 15 goal scorer. If you've got a line like this with him, though, I think that's okay, and you can find a way to maximize the abilities that he's bringing to the table. I mean, I'm, I'm going back and looking at this 2017 draft, and this might be the year that Bill and Doug Armstrong crushed it. And I know a lot of people would reference the year that they drafted Tarasenko and Schwartz in the same draft, but... Think about this. You were able to draft Robert Thomas. You traded your first round pick to Philly to get Braden Shen. And then you also traded Ryan Reeves to get Clem Costin and Oscar, Oscar Sundquist. 
I mean, wow, this, yeah. this is a hell of a draft for Doug Armstrong. And I got to double check. This wasn't the year. No. So Jordan Cairo wasn't in this season. But look, you're right. I, I'm we talked about this. I think this was a few weeks ago when we were talking Robert Thomas. And I just brought it up again in the office before the show. I, I know people hate the guy that I'm about to name, but it reminds me a lot. Robert Thomas of the Sedin brothers. And I don't remember if it was Henrik or Daniel. I think it was Henrik was the goal scorer and Daniel was the passer. I might have had those flip-flopped. But the Sedin that was the elite passer is what reminds me of Robert Thomas. Yeah, it reminds me of Robert Thomas. I I go back to that Washington Capitals game. Do you guys remember that Tory Krug goal that they scored? That was all Robert Thomas. He was on the boards far side. He was able to skate two guys off of the puck with it on his stick and then find while he's turning off of the boards to Tory Krug, who's coming down the crease and takes that shot to score. That's the ability of Robert Thomas. You were looking at a guy who could potentially get 50 assists this season. You're right. This is the year that I think he breaks out. And what they have right now with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo is is so dangerous for this Blues team because these are guys that I don't think people expected to be this good. It's rare that you get guys the 20th overall pick or a player in the second round that turns into an elite superstar type of player. That's what they have on this these two guys, specifically in Jordan Kyrou, but if Kyrou hits that elite status, Robert Thomas is going to be hitting it with him because I think this is your one-two punch for the next five years. Yeah, I, I think that's. I think this is your next top line. Like the the way that we used to talk about O'Reilly and Perron, that, that's what this is going to be for the Blues of the future, right? And I, I'm totally with you. And I think the Sedin brothers is a really good comp for what they could potentially be. Now, I don't know that Robert Thomas is going to have a season like we saw from Henrik Sedin in 2010, where he had 30 goals and 112 points. Maybe he doesn't become that, but can he be 70% of what ended up being a Hall of Fame type of player? Yeah, I think he's he's got the potential to be that. And so I, I think what we're watching right now is this is the ascent. We're watching the start of the uphill climb of what these players can be. And man, if this is the front end of it, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. We got a text 65780 is the air comfort service text line. I've been a season ticket holder for 36 years to the Blues games. Robert Thomas is the best pure passer that I have seen on the Blues since Adam Oates. That's what we're talking about right now. Hey, someone smart made that comp before. We, we were talking before the show, and, and you said, hey, I've got a comp for Robert Thomas. And I said, is it Adam Oates? Like, it's not crazy anymore. No. It's really not. Now, comparing Brett Hall to Mike Hoffman. Mike Hoffman yeah, that, it's not my finest moment. That part might not have been your best moment, but the Oates part of it, I, hey, man, I, I get that. Uh, there's a player right now with the Florida Panthers, Jonathan Huberdo. Uh, he's got 34 assists on the season, but he's got 13 goals. That's what Robert Thomas's best case scenario looks like. You got to get this guy to be a 15 goal scorer because if he is, you have two elite players on the team. I'm not even worried about the goal scoring anymore. I'm not either. But that's again, that's best case scenario. If you could get Robert Thomas to be that guy, that's a dangerous line for teams to have to go. I mean, it reminds you a lot of what the Colorado Avalanche have with Nathan McKinnon and Rantanen. Those two for what they can do on the ice together, because McKinnon is such a lethal shot on top of his passing ability, that's what Robert Thomas could get to with Jordan Cairo. Robert Thomas reminds me a lot of like a an NBA point guard that's not a great shooter. Like that can drive Rajon to the bucket. Rondo. Yeah, somebody like that in his prime, right? Where yeah. he's a great rebounder, an unbelievable distributor. 
little less crazy as a personality Robert Thomas is than Rajon Rondo was. But that's fair. The, the type of guy that you can build your team around, and if you've got the right pieces around him, it can be special. And Rajon Rondo ended up winning titles with the Boston Celtics and was a great playoff performer imagine for years. What, imagine what happens when you put Matthew Kuchuk on this line. The reason why I bring him up is because, like, for years, people would criticize Rajon Rondo for not being a great shooter. Eventually, you're just like, hey, stop talking about what this guy can't do and start talking about he could be a Hall of Famer on what he does do really, really well. That's Thomas for me now. Mm -hmm. I'm there. I'm done talking about, yeah, he's not a great goal scorer. I I get that. Like, And I don't need him to be. As long as you put him on a line where you also have those guys around him who can put the puck in the net. That's why I'm so intrigued by this line tonight. Same. Thomas with Cairo and Brandon Saad. And I know we've got a text on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Vladdy will be back on this line the rest of the season. I don't think that's true. I'm not sure it is I either. I think Vladdy comes back. I think Vladdy's going to be back on that Russian line. And then I think you're going to try and get something going with Ryan O'Reilly with the extra pieces. But I don't. I could even see, by the way, Tarasenko with Ryan O'Reilly. I could see that too. And then putting Buchnevich up there with him or Ivan Barbashev up there with him. But regardless, I don't don't think Vladdy goes back to that line when he comes back. Because I think they're really hoping that this line creates some magic. Because you have a potential 25 goal scorer in Brandon Saad who hasn't been his best this season. Which is crazy to say because he's got, what is it? 13 goals, 12 goals on the season. But I think you could get more out of him. And I think you could get more out of him by playing with these two guys. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Robert Thomas might be one of these players. Who else could make the all-star team for the Blues? We'll get into that a little bit later on today. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, who do you think can get Ryan O'Reilly going offensively? He's been really good this year, but the offense has still been lagging a little bit. Is there anybody that you could put on his line to get him going? Man, I feel like they've tried everyone this season for O'Reilly. I mean, the only one that I don't know if they have tried is Tarasenko with O'Reilly. So, I mean, maybe you can go with that. My only hesitancy with putting Vladdy with O'Reilly is O'Reilly's line is designated for one thing. It is eliminating the top line. If you get offense out of them, great. But they are going head-to-head with the Connor McDavid's, the Nathan McKinnon's of the game, and you're expecting them to eliminate them. Boston Bruins series. You didn't talk about the perfection line because of O'Reilly's line. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the season... You know, it was Sato, O'Reilly, and Perron. And I mean, at least they were somewhat productive for the Blues, but we've seen that since they've come back. So, you know, maybe what you experiment with is maybe you, you, you give Logan Brown an opportunity up there and see if he can do something. Maybe an Oscar Sundquist on the wing. Maybe you go back to Perron. The problem is, like, I think the only way that you can get the best out of Ryan O'Reilly is putting Jordan Kyrou with him. And nobody's going to want to break up that line of him and Robert Thomas. So I don't really know how you do this. I would put the faith in O'Reilly that he's going to get right. But, man, you just got to get some consistency with his line mates. Yeah, I was going to say Kyrou, but I, like you said, I don't know if I want to break that up. Hasn't Brown been on a line with him before and it didn't work either? 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe my memory serves me. I'd have to go back and look at it. I mean, I'm sure they've tried it. I mean, he's been on the number one power play play together for four minutes. So not really. (laughs) And and, I mean, those are probably power play According to natural stat trick. Is that even strength or is that five on five? Yeah. So, I mean, the power play, they've gotten time together. Maybe maybe you try it, but I I don't think Logan Brown's played all that great since everybody's kind of come back. Maybe it's just because he's fallen off into that fourth line role and I don't notice him as much, but. It was Logan Brown with O'Reilly and Sod and they played one game together. Yeah. So excuse me. I my apologies. They've been on the ice for 50 minutes together. I was looking at Kairu with him. So oh, gotcha. Yeah. I, to me, maybe then go ahead and try Logan Brown. But it's tough to find a good fit. Maybe if Braun gets back going, then you move him back up to that line with him. I don't know. Problem is, you got to have speed up there with him. I mean, you don't want to go slow. Um, you know, maybe you give Braden Chen the opportunity up there with him. But he's not playing fast this year Sunquist either. Sunquist isn't playing that fast. And I mean, uh, you could put Bozak up there. I mean, Bozak can play anywhere for you. Yeah, but he's he's not bringing the speed element either. Yep, that's the thing. You really need to get O'Reilly and Perron going. That's what's missing right now. That's the reality. Is if it's got to be those two. If you could get Perron going with O'Reilly, I would love to see Logan Brown playing with those two. Because Brown's got some speed. He's got some playmaking ability. I liked what we saw out of Barbie with him last year. Yeah, but if you're not putting Vladdy back with Thomas and Kairou, I think the only other option is Vladdy's got to play with Bar- Barbashev and Buchnevich. Unless you put Shin back on the center position and hope that that gets him going a little bit. Because Tarasenko has been good with everybody that, that he's played with so yeah. far this year. If you go Shin, Buchnevich, and Tarasenko, mm-hmm. maybe that's your third line that actually ends up working out with Barbashev as that left winger on the top line. Yeah, Or you put Buch with him and, o- and Peron, get those two going, and then Barbashev with Vladdy. And plays with Shen. That might be the way to go. Yeah, I think you could put Shen on the wing or Barbie on the wing, but you got some speed and defense there. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, which locally connected head coach would you like to see in charge of rebuilding Mizzou basketball in the post-Conzo Martin era? Uh, Travis Ford, Kim English, or is there somebody else? Can I start on this one, guys? Yeah, please. What happened last night was inexcusable, can never happen, and should never happen at a place like the University of Missouri. I'm not saying they've got to be the best basketball team in the country. They just got to be the worst basketball team in their own state. Or excuse me, they can't be the worst basketball team in their own state. Well, they've accomplished that one. Because right now, Missouri State's better, SLU's better, UMKC's better than Mizzou. I haven't seen Northwest Missouri State play basketball, but they might be better than Mizzou as well. And Lindenwood, I'm not putting it past them. Yeah, let let me look at Lindenwood. Alma mater. Represent Mizzou basketball right now is at an is almost at Kim Anderson levels of low. Lenawood's not doing very good. <laughs> Sorry, boys. What about Umsel? How's Umsel? Umsel, we can check Umsel. I would also add this. I don't care if the next head coach has local ties. Could not care less. That's how you got yourself into this situation. You wanted the local ties, and Conzo Martin was going to dominate recruiting in St. Louis. You guys see who the number one player in the country has been so far this year? Gentleman by the name of EJ Liddell. You know where he's from? He's from Belleville, Cincinnati. Illinois. Oh. Belleville, Illinois. And he's at Ohio State right now. So what? A bunch of the kids from St. Louis are going to SLU over Mizzou. And listen, good for SLU. Travis Ford doing a good job getting those kids to come to SLU. Mizzou needs to be able to recruit those guys. And Konza was supposed to be the one to do it. And he hasn't. It hasn't worked. So uh, I, I love... Conzo Martin as a human if I had a child I would want him to play basketball in college my kid will never be able to do so because you know genetics but if if I had a kid who was good enough to play college basketball I would hope that he would play for a man with the quality that Conzo Martin is the guy that guy is awesome but we're just talking pure basketball coach it is not working right now and last night was rough yeah to answer the question I mean 
and I know it's only a short sample size, but I've loved what Kim English has done with his team. And I think there could be a lot of ties because the kids that are being recruited now probably have probably don't remember much of Kim English's time at Mizzou. But like when you go to the, the tapes, you're going to look back at those successful years. And Kim English was a big reason why. I mean, to me, that would make a whole lot of sense if you're trying to recruit internal talent. Um, but other than that, we were talking to the break like you missed out on Underwood. I mean, Underwood would have been the guy that turned this team yeah. around. And I don't think you need to so worry. So envious of Illinois. Yeah. I'm so envious of I, you guys. I don't think if you're a Mizzou fan, I don't think you need to be worrying about ooh, who they can get from the local scene. I think you need to worry about getting the best damn recruiter out there and taking that no matter what. Yeah, if you're Missouri, in my opinion, you go outside the box. I don't think you look local because, it, like you mentioned, BK, it hasn't worked locally with Conzo Martin. So who that is, I don't know because I don't really know the top yeah, gonna, like, coaching candidates that are out there. I was going to ask, is there a guy that pops out to you, BK, that no. like would make sense? This stuff's so hard, man. It's so hard to know. I mean, Porter Mosier was the guy, but now he's at Oklahoma. Um, yeah, yeah, there's no reason for him to. He just got there. But he he was the one that if you were asking, like, I guess that's regionally, not necessarily locally, but he, he would have made a ton of sense for Mizzou. But now he's gone, so you, you missed the boat on him. I, I really don't have a great answer for you. This is not – it's kind of like college football where there have been so much – there's been so much transition in college basketball over the last few years – that the pipeline's kind of dry in terms of the guys at the lower levels that you could bring up to the big time jobs. Also, a lot of those guys just don't want to leave anymore because you can make really good money at a non-Power 5 job, but win your conference every year, get into the tournament, and you have a really comfortable living where you've got 100% job security. You don't have to worry about going up against the big boys in the regular season. So it's, it's a tough spot to be in if you're Mizzou. And oh, by the way, your program's in a terrible spot where a bunch of coaches aren't going to be jumping at the opportunity to come coach a team that just lost by 45 at home against Arkansas. M-I-Z-I-L-L. No, that's not how you spell oh, Mizzou, sorry. man. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie, Joey Vitale, Blues That's Analyst. You know what it is? He doesn't even follow it up with ZOU. I mean, right now, man, I don't have that kind of confidence in my no, squad. Man. Joey Vitale coming up in 15 minutes. But next, yesterday, Derek Gould said something interesting on the balloon party. The Cardinals going to add another big time reliever to big time money? Oh, God, we're not doing this again, are we? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So yesterday I was listening to the balloon party. You can hear that weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan doing a great job in the 10 o'clock hour. Check out their podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by I Promise. They had Derek Gould, the Cardinals insider for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch on the show yesterday. And Alex, we've talked a lot about, hey, what are the Cardinals going to do when things open back up? By the way, baseball apparently going to meet with the players later on today. Hopefully something right. positive comes out of that. Derek Gould talks to the balloon party about what he expects the Cardinals to do when things open back up. I was a little taken aback by what he said. First and foremost, they want to add some kind of late inning reliever, a guy who could even uh, challenge or accumulate, however you want to do it, some saves for them. You know, a guy like that, they'd like to add. So he also said something in his chat about this, basically saying, hey, the Cardinals would really like to acquire a 
basically a big time reliever. They would like to go out there and get a guy that could challenge Gallegos for that closer spot. Say it with me, Ferrario. Kim Jimmy bro. Nelson. What oh. the? Never mind. Torn ligament. <laughs> I don't love this idea. What? Why? This team doesn't need a bat. They don't need offense. They need a pitcher. I'm not even talking about that. Like, for, forget the how you allocate your money from a bat versus pitching side of things. Have we not learned over the last five years that signing big money deals for this team, given how they are able to develop pitching, that doesn't really work for them in the bullpen well, very hold well. hold on. In the Cardinals' defense, they've spent a lot of money on guys who aren't closers. I mean... Yeah, I mean, Holland was a closer. Yeah, that, that was Well, that was a Luke terror. Gregerson, closer. Cecil. He was a closer in the 90s. <laughs> the dude Still wasn't counts. a closer anymore. Brett Cecil, Cecil was really never closer, a closer for Toronto. It didn't work. I am here for the Cardinals going out there and acquiring a a solid reliever to a one-year deal, maybe even a two-year deal worth like $10 million total. That four to $6 million range, I'm all for that. Paying a reliever, though, 10 maybe more million dollars per year on a multi-year deal, or even $7-plus million on a multi-year deal, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I don't want them to go out there and be looking at Kenley Jansen. I'm not sure I'm interested in them being in the Ryan Tapera or Aaron Loop type of conver- conversations. Being that next, even the Andrew Chafin, I, I'm not interested in him, honestly. That next tier below them, yesterday we brought up Alex Colomay, that's the tier that I'm okay with him. Uh, Joe Kelly, two years, maybe $10 million. I'm okay with that. Anything above that level, though, I think you might be making a significant mistake, given how well the Cardinals in the past and projecting towards the future have been able to develop these late-inning reliever types. So I'm not interested in a big-money deal. So you're telling me that if they were able to sign Corey Knievel to two-year $20 million, you wouldn't be on board with no. that? See, Knievel, I would have interest in. I mean, I would be... Like, look, if it's Kenley Jansen, you know what you're getting. And as long as you're not signing... Didn't a Corey five, Knievel sign? Yeah, I he thought signed he a one-year deal oh, with the really? Phillies. I didn't know yeah. he signed yet. If if, you're, if you could have gotten him on that deal, I, I might have been interested. But in. if you're going to get Kenley Jansen and you're not giving him a four or five year deal like you did to Brett Cecil, you're not getting him for less than that, though. If you're going to give him the money, you might. I, I I'd wouldn't be pre- pay him. I'd be pretty surprised if Kenley Jansen gets less than three years, probably at 15 a year. Something like that. I, I mean, I, if it's Kenley Jansen, I, I I think I would be interested in that. Given his injury Steve, history yeah. and, and the heart questions, like I I'm not interested in doing and that. And the man. Dodgers were talking in mid season of what are we going to do because it looks like he's losing the closer job. Now, granted, he refound his form, but I I would never pay anybody money, big time money, to come in and be a closer because anybody can do it. Well, not anybody, but a lot of people can. I do mean, it. think about the Cardinals bullpen, right? You you go back three years ago, <laughs> this bullpen has changed so much in that stretch because this is how it works with relievers like let's let's go back to the 2018 regular season because that's what we're talking about you'd have to be good for three to four years to really make this worth it your top relievers in 2018 let's see here were jordan hicks who can't stay healthy bud norris who's no longer with the roster mike myers who i don't even know where he's at at this oh, point Angel. he had the best and i kid you not he's actually on he the had Angels. the best entrance song from the bullpen john brebbia who just had tommy john or surgery on his forearm, and he, he ended up rebounding really but year. then it went south pretty quickly for him in san francisco brett cecil who we all know how that went and greg holland your bullpen has completely turned over that's in three bullpen. years, in three years, that's happened. Now imagine if you're handing out a 
10 plus million dollar contract per year to somebody who's going to have to be a part of this bullpen three to four years from now. It completely eliminates some of your flexibility, both with your bullpen and also with your roster management over that stretch. We've learned this lesson by now. And it, I, I don't know what the Cardinals are thinking. Like, maybe they are thinking Alex Colome. Maybe that's who they have in mind when they say somebody that could challenge for our, our closer spot. Or I hope. Kimbrell. See, that would be fine for me as well, because then you're trading for a one-year contract. But what I hope they're not going to do is sign another three-plus-year contract for seven-plus million dollars per year to bring in a big-name free agent to be able to, quote-unquote, save them from their issues in the bullpen. You don't need that. You don't. I mean, you're preaching to the choir right now. I don't even know if I'm spending any money on another pitcher. I'm looking at bats still. I've stuck to this all season long, and... I just uh, I'm not in on that. But if I were going this route, if I'm going to sign somebody, I want to sign the top of the top. And at least I know that I'm what I'm getting from this. And maybe Kenley Jansen's a bad uh, a bad example in this one because of everything that he has gone through. But I mean, if I'm going to spend the money, I don't want to spend money and ho- and get a reclamation project and hope he turns into something. Because if he doesn't, I get it. You can walk away from it. But why do we even waste our time with this? Why do we waste a roster spot with this? If you're going to sign somebody, sign somebody who's going to be a part of this and you know is going to turn into it. So let's let's go down this path because I think it's interesting you mentioned that. Here are the top 10 relief pitchers last year in terms of average annual value. So there's their annual salary. Here are the top 10 guys. You tell me how many of you uh, of these guys you think the team would be happy to get out of their contract if they could. Liam Hendricks with the Chicago White Sox. I think we can all agree, three years, $54 million. That was actually, so He's far, living up really good one. signing by the I'd Chicago White that Sox. One right now. Been tremendous. Kenley Jansen, he had a five-year, $80 million contract with the Dodgers. I think they would have preferred to get out of that contract if they could have towards the end of that. The last I, two I would three agree years. with that. I mean, I don't know. You got one World Series, and you had, what, two other World Series appearances with him? But not because of him. Yeah. I mean, he was a big reason why you won it. The last two years, though, he's he's been a problem for the Dodgers. I get it, but, I mean, he's been a part of them getting to that point. Araldis Chapman, if the Yankees could get out of that oh, three-year, $50 million deal, do you think yeah, they would? I think they would. I don't know what happened with him. Rysel Iglesias, four years, $58 million. Do you think that they, they would like to get out of that contract? They just signed it. I was going to say they just signed that. Uh, I, I think I, they're going to regret a, it by the end. I think they will, too. I, but I think the Angels were also, they had they were forced in their signing because they have no pitching. 100%. I think he'd be better on a team that actually is competing rather than on a team like that. Maybe. Craig Kimbrell signed a three-year, 40, $45 million contract. Yes. I can tell you right now, the White Sox would love to get out of that contract. Will, Will Smith just ended up signing recently a three-year, $40 million deal with the Braves. We'll see. He was good for him last year, he but by the back late. end, we'll see. Yeah. Zach Britton, three years, $40 million. Guarantee the Yankees would love yes. to get out of that contract. Yeah. Andrew Miller, two years, $25 million. Can't confirm. Can't confirm. Think the Cardinals yeah. would like to get out? Cardinals were hoping to get out of that at year one. zero. Trevor Rosenthal, Dayon Batances, Brad Hand. These are all guys that signed one-year deals worth 10 to $11 million. I can tell you all of those deals, they'd probably like to have them back. It's just tough in the free agent market with relievers, man. If you're going to spend this kind of money, I would much rather do it on on hitters or starters because they are so much easier to project. Bullpen arms, the variance between year to year is so unbelievably high that finding one of these guys at these big money deals, it feels really good when you sign it. You're like, man, this is going to be great. We're going to look at the back end of this bullpen. It's going to be so much fun to close these things out. And maybe for a year it works. And then he gets a year two and the guy has Tommy John. And now you're screwed, and in year three, he's trying to regain his form, and you're, you've got nothing out of it. 
it's just very difficult to get the value out of extract the value out of these contracts that you're hoping for. So I, I hope that's not what the Cardinals are trying to do here. I hope that they don't make the same mistake that they've made before. Yeah, I'm with you because I, I do think they need help in the bullpen. I think they need to add somebody, but I don't think it needs to be a Kenley Jansen. I don't think it – do they want someone with closing experience? Okay, I would get that if you want to bring in like an Alex Coleman, as you mentioned. I'm totally fine with that one. But just think back to the recent years, and we've brought it up. I mean, the contracts that you have signed have not worked out. Most of the guys that have been really good out of your bullpen in, in years past have been guys either A, you've developed – B, we're on a very small deal, or C, that you had acquired as an asset in a trade. Like, I think back to Pat Neshek was on an invite to spring training. He was one of the best relievers in all of baseball, went and signed elsewhere, was terrible. I look at uh, guys you've developed. I mean, we just throw in Jordan Hicks' name. He was developed, and he was a solid reliever for, for a couple year, of years. Luis Garcia, you got off the scrap. Exactly. TJ McFarland wasn't wanted elsewhere, and he came in and fixed your bullpen. Like, you... You can find these guys. Even in season, you can find them, much less in the offseason for cheap deals. I, I guess my point is this. Right now you have in your bullpen going into next year, Gallegos is your closer. I feel comfortable with him as my closer. Cabrera as your setup man. I feel comfortable pretty much with him as my setup man right now. And then in the sixth and seventh inning, you've got guys like Reyes, Helsley, McFarland, and Whitley. I'm actually okay for the most part, with all of those guys. If you could add one more player into the mix that's a solid middle-inning reliever, I think that's enough. I think you could go out there and get somebody on that $5 million or less, and that's all you need to finish out your bullpen, especially when they think guys that are down in the minors right now can come in and help them. So I I don't think they're in the the business right now of going out there and acquiring a legit lockdown closer, and those are the guys that get paid like what we're talking about right now. I think they need that, as you mentioned, that kind of seventh-ending guy. Or at least someone that can come in like a Colme that could be either the seventh or the ninth inning guy, and then you bump Gallegos and Cabrera back. Because I feel comfortable with Helsley, Whitley, Reyes, McFarlane, but I don't know if I feel comfortable with them in a setup situation. I'd much rather they be more like that middle, fifth, sixth relief, middle, mid relief role. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're getting back to the Blues with our Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, Joey Vitale. Let's talk to him about what he expects from Mikola now that he's not going to be playing tonight with Colton Pareko. And I want to talk to him about the comment from Doug Armstrong about Robert Thomas's passing ability. We're talking to Joey Vitale next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're talking blues hockey. It's the Joey Vitale Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by The Electrical Connection. When you need quality electrical work for your home or business, visit electricalconnection.org. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're joining... We are joined now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line with Joey Vitale. He's the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. You'll hear him on the call tonight when the Blues take on the Kraken. Pre-game coverage with Alex coming up at 6 o'clock. Joey, how you doing today, man? Hey, what's up? Doing good, man. Doing really good. How are you guys doing today? Uh, we're doing well. I'm disappointed in Alex Joey, Ferrari. Yeah, I didn't sorry. even join in. Sorry, uh, no, no, let's Joey. do this one more, time. Yeah, one more time. Joey joining us now here on BK and Ferrari. Joey, what's going on, Joey, man? Joey! 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 <sighs> okay, that's there better. We go. Hey, Joey, Take let's... Two. Take two. Let's get right into this, man. We we read earlier today some comments from Doug Armstrong. He gave these to uh, Jeremy Rutherford. I, I wanted to pass them along to you because I... 
I don't hear him talk a lot like this about players. He said, quite honestly, I did not give Robert Thomas enough credit for being the elite passer that he is. I knew he was a great one, but he actually might be a next-level passer. He has a chance to make himself and a lot of guys money because he puts the puck on guys' sticks at the right time. I think the next level for Robert is to find ways to score more goals for himself, but his passing skills, what I see him do in practice some days, I just shake my head and say, wow, where did that come from? Joey, what have you seen from Robert Thomas this year in taking that next step in his career? Yeah, I mean, those were, those were great comments. I read those as well, BK. And I think, I think what he's talking about, I think if you really were to break it down in a nutshell, I think from a scouting uh, aspect with Bill Armstrong, who was the assistant GM when they, when they drafted Robert Thomas, now, now the head GM there in Arizona, I think when Doug and, and Bill had these conversations about these certain players – listen, there's always expectations. There's always like, this is what this player is going to be, or maybe not quite. Here's his deficiencies. Here's his strengths. I think when they drafted him, they, they thought he would be this a kind of player, right? But I think what, what he's trying to get at is that he has blown our expectations completely out of the water from, from drafting him. Not to mention uh, the, the last couple of years I think he, he's had. You know, he comes on the scenes, uh, his, his rookie year, uh, the year they win the Cup, uh, he has to pretty much make the team because of uh, the way that everything's structured where he can't go back. Um, of course, he could go back and play juniors, but what, what kind of good would that do? He can't go to the minors and develop down there. So he ended up keeping him. He went through a lot of growing pains back in 2018 before the coaching change. He found a great spot on the on the cup run for the St. Louis Blues. The next couple of years were, were some sophomore slump years. And then he got injured with his shoulder. I thought that maybe uh, at times, I think probably Blues fans, Doug Armstrong thought, is this kind of what he is? Is this all he is based off what we've seen over the first three years? And I think that those comments really speak loudly of what now he's seen uh, in his fourth year where he has just completely exploded off the radar compared to last year in the year before and even his rookie season. He is playing um, a type of game in the style of games that you would see on a top line team that's in the first place in, the, let's say, their division. I know he's kind of hiding under Ryan O'Reilly, and rightfully so. I love the one-two tandem of those two guys. But, but this is a situation where when Braden Shen came back in the lineup last week uh, and looking to kind of come back, it was kind of around that winter classic time, we were all kind of talking at a round table, where, where does Braden Shen fit? And I think Braden will be the first one to tell you, I think that he, he's no longer considered to be a one-two center on this team anymore because of what Robert Thomas has done. Robert Thomas has, has certainly solidified himself as that second-line center right behind Ryan O'Reilly. And the pass-making, uh, uh, the play-making, excuse me, uh, the passing, the no-look passes, he plays with confidence. He, he plays as if you're playing a Sega Genesis NHL 96 and you put like a super, super cheat code on like your best center, a CBY, right in the middle. That, that, to me, is what he looks like. He's not afraid to make a play. That, that's one thing that really jumps off the page at me as far as his development this year, his ability to just be confident in his plays, to make mistakes and just shake it off. And that's a maturity thing, right? And that's something that Keith Kachuk has constantly talked to him about over the last couple of seasons. You know, go out there and just be you. Don't worry about anything else. You're going to make mistakes. This is growing pain. Hang with it, hang with it, hang with it. And much like Nathan McKinnon, who took about four or five years to really blossom in this league, people, people often forget that. It took Nathan about four or five years before he really exploded. Robert Thomas is kind of showing that kind of same uh, trajectory where it's taken him about four years to kind of really get going. 
And this player is just certainly fun to watch. Sorry, Joe, you'll have to explain a little bit more what a Sega Genesis is to our guy T-Bone here. I don't think he knows what that is. Yeah, what is that? Oh, come really? on, T-Bone. Come on, T-Bone. It's, it's the old game where you, uh, if you want to score a goal, you literally just come down, you wrap it around and, and take it from left to right, and you score literally every time. <laughs> Before my time. Before, my Before time. his time. Joe, you mentioned Ryan O'Reilly, and look – for people that watch him on a nightly basis, they understand Ryan O'Reilly does a lot more than just pick up points. I mean, he is so impactful on the ice as a defensive forward, but the points have not been here, been there for him this season. If you were looking at this roster, and I understand they're going through a lot right now with guys in COVID and guys uh, being uh, injured, how would you construct the lineup to try and get Ryan O'Reilly going? You know, I think that I think Craig Berube is really happy. I think with with Ryan, kind of where he's at, and I know Ryan would probably like to to be earning more points uh, like he was in the past. But I also think that this coaching staff and Ryan has certainly been in the league long enough to know that uh, you don't need to be scoring goals to be an impactful player. I think if you're Robert Thomas, for example, Alex, or, or Jordan Cairo, um, you know, Jaden Schwartz, who unfortunately we're not going to see return to St. St. Louis here tonight, but he, he was a player where with the blues, if, if they weren't picking up points, uh, but if they were getting chances, okay, hang in a little bit longer, but if they were not getting their points, to me, that was kind of their bread and butter. Um, it is well understood by now that Ryan O'Reilly brings so much other value uh, to this team. But but the most important thing is he's content with that. And I think this coaching staff is very content with that. I think Craig Brewer was actually asked about this on some scrum a couple weeks back. I forget what game it was. And he pretty much just looked at the question and kind of was a bit baffled and puzzled by it. He goes, well, there's there's plenty of that he does. He's not getting on the score sheet. And he kind of went through those things, whether it be face-off, shutting down games, starting games, being that leadership presence on the bench, being a careful leader in the sense that he really cares about everyone around him, which has really galvanized this group to be where they are right now in the standings. We're talking to Joey Vitale for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Joey, what are the Blues missing with Colton Pareko out of the lineup tonight? We talked about it earlier today. I mean, he's second in the NHL in five-on-five time on the ice so far this season. Can you replace that guy? And if not, how do they do their best to do so against the Kraken tonight? Well, he's not he's not replaceable, certainly. Um, and on that right side, I think it's probably going to be Nico Mikola and Justin Falk who are going to be manning that top pair. Uh, I think Tory Crews is going to slide, uh, slide. We're watching that slide. He's going to stay where he's at with probably Marco Scandella possibly moving to the right side. At least that's the way it looked at morning skate this morning. So, you know, Justin Falk certainly is the best candidate to fill the shoes of Colton Preco, but very different players. I mean, you know, Justin Falk, the way he can get up and down the ice and defend, but also add to the offense, that's going to add a little bit of flair. But you do miss a little bit defensively. You miss a lot of size there on the back end. But more importantly, I think the biggest thing that they're going to miss is the calming presence of Colton. His personality reminds you so much of how Jay Bowmeister was. Just never overextended himself, never got too excited. I think that, you know, you look at some of the best defensemen that are still in the game here. Look at Ryan Suter, for example, uh, there with the Dallas Stars. There is something very calming about his game. Nicholas Lindstrom, I don't know if Nicholas Lindstrom ever threw a body check, at least when I was watching him play with him towards the end of his career. And I think if you talk to some of the veterans around the league, they would say the same thing. I don't think I ever seen him actually throw a body check, but he was always angling the proper way. And he had just this very calming way of just calming the game down. Colton, as he continues to groom and be the go-to guy since Alex Petrangelo has departed, he, he is really getting good at calming the game down. It's a hard thing, it's a hard thing to explain, but you, if you look at some of the best defensemen in the league, Victor Hedman really is someone, when, when they get the puck on their stick, they have just this way about them where they're not in a rush to make a play, but they always make the right play, and they always get up and out of their zone, 
And when they get the puck on the stick, they just got this presence and there's this aura and energy around the game that just says he's got the puck, the game all of a sudden, you can take a breath, right? So Colton, to me, has really brought that to this team this year, and it's something that's going to be missing uh, as they move forward without him over the next couple of games. Joey Vitale, you'll hear him on the call tonight. Blues versus the Seattle Kraken. Joey, we're looking forward to listening to the call. We're looking forward to seeing what the Blues are able to do against Seattle. All the best to you, and we'll talk to you again next week, man. Sounds good, fellas. Talk to you next week. Have a great day. Absolutely. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on a 101 ESPN. I'm really fascinated to see what the defense looks like tonight. Um, I, I guess it's kind of a morbid curiosity in, in some ways, and I hate to say it that way, but Pareko eats so much time on the ice for this team. I mean, he's so he's at 24 minutes on average so far this season. Falk is at 23, and you've got Krug at 20. Your next closest defenseman for you on the season is Scandella at 17 and a half. And th- those yeah. three are just so clearly your top three defensemen right now. And when you pull one of those guys out, and it's almost like you, you wonder if it's the Jenga, right, where you pull out the wrong piece and everything starts to crumble. I hope that's not the case. And certainly, even if it was, I, I'm not sure Seattle's the team that's going to be able to take advantage of it uh, to a to Toronto a could be, though. Toronto absolutely could be. So I'm I'm very curious to see what they look like without Pareko out there. Yeah, and this is why it puts so much intrigue towards Nico Mikola because, I mean, he's been trending towards that direction in terms of ice time, but he just doesn't have as many games under his belt this season like Marco Scandella does. So uh, for, for Nico Mikola, I think you're going to be talking about a guy who could be seeing 21, 22, maybe 23 minutes of ice time tonight. How does he handle that? I mean, these guys are in incredible shape, especially Nico Mikola, who's got the speed. But now you're going to be relying on your line mate or your pairing mate that isn't the same as Colton Pareko like Joey just mentioned that that is that calming presence you got a different guy out there how do you react to it yeah he's gonna have a big opportunity tonight again you'll hear that right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN in 15 minutes we'll dive into the junk drawer but next how did it get this bad for Mizzou basketball and Guys, I got a question for you. I need some help with this. At what point can you stop watching your favorite team because they cause you more pain than joy? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I see you, text line. I see you, I man. see you. Congrats. I see, see the tweets. I understand social media is buzzing. I, I love the- I hate to be, for some of you, the bearer of bad news. For others, the guy that is calming the waters. No, Conzo Martin has not been fired. I love the text that says Twitter is reporting Conzo was fired. When did Twitter start reporting? 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Yes, I, I, so I, I Bleacher Report fell for a fake tweet that said that Conzo Martin has been fired. It was a fake Twitter account. Bleacher Report sent out an update that said that it was real, that he was actually fired, and now there are other guys, including some reporter from Fayetteville, Arkansas, who, who says, says he's a journalist of the Mizzou, of Mizzou alumni, and he's saying, well, Conzo Martin's been fired. No. No, he hasn't. But we do need to talk about this, Alex. Should he because, be fired? Uh, th- that, I think, is a different conversation entirely. Because Twitter's reporting. Last night, what happened with the University of Missouri basketball team is unacceptable. It can't happen. It shouldn't happen. That was embarrassing. 
Mizzou lost that game 87 to 43 against Arkansas, and they were down so much so early that it was never actually a real basketball game. Alex over on Ken Palm, they put together the uh, the win project the the win expectancy for us for a team. Less than four minutes into the game, Arkansas had a 95% chance to win. Pretty good. 95% less than four minutes into the game. Let me pretty, put it another way. That's pretty good. Arkansas, based on how much they were up in the first half, could have quite literally taken a shot clock violation on every single possession in the second half, not scored a single point, and won by six last night. That's how bad that performance was by Mizzou. And sadly, it's nothing new. Mizzou now has six losses this year of 20 or more points. The most that they've had at any point since they joined the Big Eight 50 years ago or something crazy Wow, was seven. What? They are one 20-point loss, which will happen at some point this year, away from tying a a program record for most such losses in program history. Yes, more so than what they had with Okay, so see, that's my measuring stick. Like, you know how they always have like this line where the Mendoza line, you look Mm -hmm. at it, you're like, okay, this is the level. I call it the Kim Anderson line or the coffin line. Have we have we surpassed the coffin line? I think we're 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 hovering around that line. Last night was the worst loss since 2015 when Mizzou lost by 39 points or 49 points, excuse me, at Kentucky in 2015, which was the Kim Anderson era. Everything you're watching right now, the UMKC game, last night's horrible performance, what they did did against Illinois and Kansas, we're watching Kim Anderson 2.0 right now in terms of the quality of the team. Alex, I don't know what the future holds for Conzo Martin. I like Conzo Martin personally. I think he's a, a good basketball coach and a good man who just, it's not working for whatever reason at Mizzou. This is now year five and things are going backwards as opposed to getting better. I don't know when, I don't know how, I know there are money potential hindrances to this. If it continues in this direction, if it doesn't get better, he can't be back next year, man. They still paying that, are they still paying that money that you talked it's about? Like $6 million, but you, you, you have to find a way. You have to. You, you can't allow your, your basketball program. At this point, you are getting close to, there's a almost decade between when you were good at basketball and when you're going to be good again. The the question is, BK, if you do fire him and you get the $6 million or you're paying that to fire him, is the is the next guy and the permanent guy there or are you just firing him to bring in a temporary guy until the next guy's there? Because, look, I, I'm with you. Like, I don't think you can... I mean, sti- you're hoping the next guy's the guy, but it's impossible to know for sure. Yeah, but, I, I mean, I think you have to be able to evaluate if this guy's good at recruiting. I, I mean, like the next one or Conzo? The next one. Well, yeah, he he has to be. Whoever that's what I'm hire saying. has like, to be good. If you fire him and the guy that is available is not a good recruiter, but you feel like, well, he's a better replacement than Conzo Martin, you're just settling there. Like, I don't think you can settle for the next step for Mizzou. It's a huge hire for Desiree Reed-Francois. Yeah. She is new at this job, and she's got to knock this next one out of the park. This is her first potential big move, big decision, is what are you going to do with the basketball program? There are... Two programs at Mizzou that make money for for the university or for the athletic department. It's a football team, first and foremost, and there is no close second. But the second team is the men's basketball program. And right now, they're hemorrhaging money. You you look at the the crowds that they're putting together. They play Texas A&M on Saturday at home. There ain't going to be nobody in that arena. So I can get good tickets? It's going to be dead. Because... 
what am I doing? And this is the question that I wanted to ask you guys. At what point can you just stop watching your basketball team? Because I turned that basketball game on for a little bit last night. Three minutes in, I knew they had no chance. I turned it off. I I had better stuff to do with my time. At what point can you get to the place where you are so out, so unhappy from everything that is taking place with your favorite team, whatever the sport is, that you can just stop watching, that it's not worth your time? I don't know because I went through so much pain as a Blues fan growing up, especially post-lockout when they traded away Chris Pronger. And I'll never forget, I mean, I was 15 at the time, and like that first year when they were playing basically for a first-round draft pick or the first overall draft pick, I mean, I, I can't lie. Like, I, I backed away for a couple of months because it just caused me too much pain because I wanted to see the Stanley Cup. So in terms of this, I, I don't know how fans are still there. <laughs> Like, I mean, it's been bad. So you've reached your point. Like, look, like... So I'm good. I don't have to yeah, watch Mr. Basketball yeah, no, anymore. No, no, you're out on this one. Like, I bought in with the Michael Porter Jr. stuff. Like, I'm like, yeah, this team finally is going to actually Even start last year was awesome. Fun. Last year was fun. Uh, it wasn't really fun. I, I mean, they went to the tournament. That last year's team, I, credit where it's due. That that was a fun team. Tillman had his moments. Xavier Pinson had his moments I, where it was a lot of fun I to watch. I think the last time that, that I had fun good. with them was Jonte Porter. That was a we went into the tournament last year, and we were saying we thought they could make it to the Sweet 16, potentially. I completely so I, forgot they even made the tournament last I year. Did yeah, too. I, I thought they were you. awful last year. I think that's a little unfair. Uh, but well, You know what? I think it's unfair that they're putting me through what I watched last night. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Can I can I stop watching this team, Tanner? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. 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 You, you get our you you can be an Illinois fan. Yeah, it's like Illinois football. Like after they lose that first game to an FCS team, you go, yeah, it's time to turn it off. So yeah, you've reached the point of Mizzou basketball because I only saw him once, and I can tell you, I plan on never watching him again this year because that was rough against Illinois. So seeing that game against Arkansas, yeah, I can guarantee you, you don't have to turn him on again. They just make me sad. Like they're, they're, they're oh, just, if you ever need a good cry, just turn on a game. There's no pain anymore. They don't hurt me. Oh, because it's, it's more sad than the Sarah I, I go into song. every game like Ken Palm right now. I'm looking at the Ken Palm projected schedule for Mizzou. The only game that they are projected to win the rest of the way is the final game of the season against Georgia the only game they're projected to win and based on the way that these things work with their formula they would have mizzou finishing 10 and 20 on the season with a 4 and 13 record in conference surpassed my number i thought they were going to get to i mean they're at seven so it's pretty tough not to get to 10 they might they're, they're going to challenge it i mean after that shooting performance yeah, last night say, they got you, a chance it was 18 to 44 at some point in the first half like they yeah, were down possible. Like 25 to 3 i saw bk's tweet i was like surely he Surely that's not right, right? That's right. It was Don't awful. If they didn't make their free throws, ooh, ooh buddy. What they were they 13 for 14 from the free throw line. They were 13 or 12 for 32 from two-point range. <laughs> Two for 16 from beyond the arc. It's fine. What is that percentage-wise, field goal-wise, not the three-point one? I mean, it's like 25%. It, <laughs> it was no better than awful. math on the air. It was awful. Um, I think you got to back away from it, man. I think you got to take a season off. I think you got. I think you need to stay away from it for at least three months. Uh, recoup, you know. Maybe try and find yourself. Go on a long walk, and then and then try come back next year. Myself. Yeah, <laughs> he's not in pain. Remember, he said he was. They don't hurt you, me anymore. I'm I think in fun, I think you have a fun game if you ever want to watch. No, a game. I think you're still in denial. I think you're still in like, denial. The way, Based on what? You know, after the Arkansas game, he came, or, <laughs> after the Alabama game, he came in. He's like, "Boys, Mizzou's back." I never heard him say that. No, I did. Uh, did. That literally never happened. I, I'm. Just, they, they make me sad because I have no hope. 
the hope has been ripped from my soul. Whoa. It, it's gone. That's right, why I said you go, go find for yourself, walk. man. <laughs> it's gone. Hey, can I, I, you, they lost to UMKC. The hope was over. Hey, can, can drink recruit for basketball? I mean, I, I can't do much he, worse. I, I, the, oh, I think my biggest frustration with Conzo is that this is exclusively his roster. Like it, it's not just that yeah. they're bad. It's not like when it's Underwood this took was over and they were bad picked. in Illinois. Yeah. He decided who he wanted. He'd put this roster together. They don't have a center. Last night, I I, I know you guys didn't watch the game, and no, nor I should didn't. you. I didn't. Kobe Brown is their only player that can make shots. And Arkansas, what they were doing was they were just having all five guys on certain possessions. And I'm not exaggerating here. All five guys, when when Kobe Brown would get the ball down on the block, they would all just go down on him, and Mizzou could do nothing. No, Because you were not afraid of anybody else making a shot. He's the only guy that can score on their roster. And what, the problem is he's having to play center for them, and he's not a center. He's six seven, And so he gets into foul trouble. So he goes up against these guys like Kofi Coburn. This happened in the Illinois game. He gets foul trouble early. He goes and sits on the bench because he's got two fouls. And now you can't score because the only guy that can actually put the ball in the bucket is on the bench because he's having to play a position that he's incapable of playing. So your roster is a horribly constructed. You don't have a real you don't have a real point guard or a center and you can't shoot. You're quite literally right now the worst shooting three point team in the country among all power five teams. There's nobody worse than Mizzou. BK, people are asking you to not be a fair weather fan like me. I I think if you're going to watch a game it's from beyond now on, being fair weather, it's just smart more than anything. I think if you're going to watch a game from now on, maybe you should like play a game with it. So like, since they shoot so poorly, Drinking maybe every, every shot they make, yes. you take a shot. I because don't. Ha- you, you I, have I, I won't. I will never get drunk. Exactly. Well, that's that's why it should be every <laughs> shot they no, miss. Now, you should if take there's a, a shot. rare game you happen to watch, yeah. or like playing Alabama, and they shoot lights out, you may be on the floor. But other than that, you should be fine. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line from the six three six. BK's hope was stolen away as if it was a half of a patio set at his house. Coming up in fifteen minutes. John Lester, is he a Hall of Famer? And where is he ranked among the best one-hit wonders here in St. Louis? We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. Next is the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer? Well, boys, I don't know if we uh, we're paying. Well, I guess we are paying attention to Twitter because it's trending with Conzo Martin being fired. He's not. He's, he's not, not fired. Dave Matter is even saying, "Don't fall for fake accounts." But sometimes you don't need to fall for fake accounts because you get just pure gold from former NFL linebacker Bart Scott. He was on Get Up this morning, boys, and as we all know, uh, Josh Allen is going to be playing in some frigid temperatures this weekend against the New England Patriots. Do we have this audio, T-Bone? Yeah, so Diana Rossini is going to explain, you know, what's the issue with Josh Allen. Yeah. And we'll just let you Take a listen. It. He's got bad circulation, so his toes get cold, and as you know, with your can feet. I, can I give you a suggestion for him? You Josh Allen listening, can people get this medical by Agra? Take some Viagra for the game, baby. That'll fit that circulation going right. I, I don't so, know how to move uh, off of that. I don't have any medical background, but I can't. I don't really have a, a response to that. But you, you play, so you must know something. A lot of us take Viagra. Did you hear Tyana Rossini go? What? Take Viagra to help the circulation. Hold on. I don't think Bart Scott knows what happens when you take Viagra. I feel like he might. 
I don't think so because I think all that circulation is going to one area. Then he really the has Viagra. a problem. Then he really has a problem. Not with that really helping the circulation if it's all going to one spot. I mean, it it circulates your blood. Uh, yeah, it does for one area. I'm I'm trying to. Those are really tight pants. <laughs> That's what we're going off of here. I'm just trying to imagine like everybody talking about my tight pants, my tight pants. I don't know who sings that. Saturday Night Live. Come on, man. Uh, oh. Don't worry about the tight pants. He's wearing a cup. I don't think that's. I don't think that's. Smart. I've got news for you. Yeah. Very few football players wear a cup. What? Very few. Get out of here. I'm actually stunned by that. I am very stunned by that. Why wouldn't you wear I would a cup? Say in a even sport? in high school, maybe five percent of my teammates wore cup. Okay. Well, that's because you were high schools, high schoolers. What? High, school, high, school, high schoolers are fewer and that? fewer pads as you get on further because it hinders your ability, that your movement ability more. So like the knee pads, the thigh pads, you see very few players that have the big ones in the NFL because a little bit more restrictive, right? That's why guys complain about the knee braces sometimes that some teams re- require, especially offensive linemen to wear. Uh, but anyways, Viagra, uh, that that is... <laughs> anyways, Viagra, that is certainly one idea can, can i we, <laughs> would say there's probably zero medical reason as to why you should go that can way can we go but. back and play the, the reaction of dan rossini uh when that was brought up by bart scott yeah here we go can people get this medical by agra take some viagra for the game baby that'll fit that circulation going right i, I don't know how to <laughs> So, guys, I don't, I don't know, know who the other person was. Was that somebody, I, somebody else said, I don't know how to transition off of that one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's a very smart idea by, um, I don't think that's a very smart idea by Bart Scott. Yeah, I've seen guys do the, the Vaseline stuff where they, they're putting that on their arms to make it more difficult to tackle them. Um, there, there are a million different things. There have been some guys that have talked about covering themselves in urine to make them smell, smell bad. Like there are some weird things that players are willing to do to gain that 5% edge against their opponents. This is certainly it's a, it's an idea. An idea. It yeah. is an idea. Uh, I did want to throw something else at you guys. So earlier today, somebody I follow on Twitter uh, said their husband sets four alarms every morning. And they were saying that basically like this is the way that I have to wake up. Right. I thought that was just the norm. I assumed that everybody has like four or five alarms set in the morning to get them awake. Are there monsters out there who actually wake up on their first alarm? I used to be able to do it. I can't do it anymore. I do. Do you? Yeah. How? T-Bone said that the other day. He's like, I had to set six alarms. I'm like, being an adult, wake up on the first, yeah, first I have, alarm. I have 13 alarms set. How? 13? Yeah, okay. so I have That's to be an adult, man. I go four. I've got two on my phone. I've got my my main actual alarm clock that's next to me. And then I've got the Alexa that's, that's next to us as well. And that's my yeah. last resort. If I hear that, it means you got to get up now. Well, when, the, when the first 14? one, when the yeah, first so one goes have... off, you stand up and you get up. See, I don't. Like, I had 13 set today. I didn't get up to any of them, by the way. <laughs> uh, also, yeah. the key to this is you got to put the alarm across the room. Where it's, you have it, to go turn it off. Oh, see, I would, yeah. I would break it the first time that I did that. Yeah, that would well, not no. go. Once well, you're up, you're up. Man. I said, I said, basically, I have nine here on my phone from seven a.m. till like eight twenty. Hopefully, one of those wake me up. I got the Alexa set for three, and then I have the alarm set for one. What sucks is when I have trouble figuring. The time I wake up is when I have trouble because I set those three 
the same time. The trouble I have is when I can't figure out which one I haven't turned off. That's when I wake up. Yeah, this is a good one. First, al- first alarm for me for the 314. Hardest part of marriage was my wife snoozing hers. Took time to get used to. That uh, Katie hits it like seven or eight times. And now we don't because our, I mean, our daughters are alarm clock. When she's crying, yeah. we're up. But before no that, button. no, there's no snooze button to a baby that, that wants a bottle. But before that, Katie is notorious for like alarm, snooze, alarm, snooze. Like we would go 30 See, minutes past the alarm. I was like you in college, but I think it was just like my roommate I had in college. Both my roommates I had in college were that way where it was, okay, alarm goes off. I'm going to hit snooze, going to hit snooze. And I think I just slowly kind of came into that because I used to get up on the first alarm and have no issue with it. 65780 is your cover service text line from the 618. BK, aren't you also the guy who overslept for a 10 a.m. radio show a while back? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yoga kicked his butt. Yeah, I... <laughs> I had a, a rough morning, and I didn't show up at the studio or until a rough night. Am I right? Huh? T- ten ten forty five, and um, yeah, that that went well for me. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In fifteen minutes, we're gonna play a game of Bet It or Forget It. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for Bet It or Forget It. But next, is John Lester a Hall of Famer? I think there's a pretty strong case to be made that he is. Also, who are the other best one-hit wonders in St. Louis sports? We'll do it all coming up on 101 ESPN. Can people get this message told? By Agra. Take some Agra for the game, baby. That'll put that circulation going right. I, I don't so- know how to... We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. I said a minute ago. We're going to tell uh, better to forget it coming up at 115. Oh, That's not the that, case. We did that on Wednesday. That's not the or case. Tuesday. Yeah, it's it's Thursday, Monday? which means, believe it or not, coming up in about 15 minutes. Are so we sure? Send, send those in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Believe it or not. Sing coming up in 15 minutes. But guys, John Lester announced yesterday he's going to be retiring from baseball. This has been the expectation. I know Randy mentioned it on the morning show a couple of months ago at this point that he he expected John Lester to retire. And I I think you can make a really strong case that John Lester should be a baseball Hall of Famer. If you exclusively look at his regular season statistics, maybe you wouldn't put him there. But he's one of the best playoff pitchers that we've seen over the last 20 years. In the postseason in his career, he's thrown 155 innings and he has a 2.5 ERA. He was a a mainstay in that rotation for Boston. He was a guy that helped get the, uh, the Chicago Cubs a significant piece as to why they were able to win the World Series their first I think you can make a case that based on his playoff resume, he's somebody that should be a Hall of Famer. But I'm also I tend to lean towards a big hall where I think a guy like Madison Baumgartner with what we've seen him do in the playoffs can't tell the story of baseball without telling that guy's story over the last decade. I think he is a future Hall of Famer. I don't think he's probably going to get in, though, because of his regular season accolades. Do you guys view Lester as a Hall of Famer? I do. And that really sucks that his regular season is going to be the reason that at least holds him back. We would speculate because when I think of Hall of Famers and I know this isn't the route that people should go because a lot more goes into it but I think of his impact in the biggest moments and you look at the fact that he has three World Series rings 
And T-Bone and I were talking about this. He's got those rings, and it's not like he was just a complimentary piece to that championship team. Every one of those championships, he was probably the biggest name for that roster when it comes to their pitching staff. I mean, he had a no-hitter in a playoff game against the Royals for the Boston Red Sox. And then you talk about the Chicago Cubs. John Lester, in my opinion, should be a Hall of Famer. I know what's probably going to hold him back are the Cy Young votes and the All-Star votes. But for a guy who went to five All-Star games, was top five in Cy Young three times, another Cy Young vote in the top ten, three World Series championships, you got 200 victories and the longevity. That last one's a big one because there's – I don't think there's going to be a ton of guys that get to that moving no, forward just and, because and, of how rare it is for guys to pitch that many and games. And nearly 3,000 innings. And if you add in the postseason numbers, I'm sure he's passed 3,000 innings. But it, it, it's too hard to look at him and say he's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. The 200 wins is the big one for me because he reaches that. He's got three three World Series. The NLCS MVP to me is also huge. I don't know if a lot of voters will look at it that way. And uh, BT mentioned this to me the other day was, you know, let's not forget when in 2013, when he was that pitcher for the Red Sox, I think he gave up one run in like 14 innings to the Cardinals in that World Series in two or three starts. The big thing for me, too, is just not only the longevity, but the consistency as well. I brought up this statistic to you, uh, Alex, when we were talking about this. He's had 16 major league seasons. Let's pull out 2020 because it was an odd season. And let's pull out the first two of his career because he was up and down between Boston and Pawtucket, their AAA affiliate. So that's 13 years. Eight of his 13 years, he threw over 200 innings pitch when he was a regular starter. I mean, that's impressive in its own. And I get it. A lot of people say, well, a lot of pitchers used to throw 250 innings on a consistent basis. But for this day and age in baseball, when he came up in 2006, and for him to have that level of consistency, get to 200 wins, have the three World Series titles, be in the pretty much the driving force of all three World Series titles in terms of being the ace of a pitching staff, to me, he's a surefire Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I would have him on that list as well. And for some people, he would be on the list of the one-hit wonders that have been there for the Cardinals in recent memory because of what he was able to do for them to stabilize that rotation down the stretch. He was a pretty important piece of that 17-game winning streak because if if not for the way that he and Jay Happ were able to pitch for them, you don't have that 17-game winning streak. So, Alex, I wanted to kind of get into this. You you suggested this before the show, and I think it's a really good idea. Who are some of the other best one-hit wonders that we've had here in St. Louis? Our, our memories of the, the Cardinals, the Blues, the local guys, it typically goes back like 20, 25 years. So we'll, we'll kind of stay in that range. But for you, who's on that list of the best St. Louis one-hit wonders? Maybe this is a one-year contract or a guy that was really good for a year and then just never really lived up to that again. You can take it into whatever criteria you'd like. Yeah, I mean, so many came to mind. And look, for me, uh, more Blues players came to mind than Cardinals players. But, I mean, for Cardinals, you got to come up. I mean, John Lester's on this list, like it or not. But you got to mention John Smoltz when he came over because I remember the hype around that pitcher and I think he was the closer for them so like he wasn't the starting pitcher that he once was but still like you brought him over and he had that pure aura around him the other one for me on the Cardinal side was Lance Berkman I mean I was frustrated that it was only one year of Lance Berkman because I wanted to see multiple years but he might have retired after that championship he he was there the second year but he was hurt he he just wasn't the same guy afterwards Uh, I would kind of in that similar vein this guy was here for multiple seasons, but he was never the same after the first one because of injuries. Mark Mulder would be a guy oh, for me. Yeah, that, I forgot about Mark Mulder. deserving of a one-hit wonder. He threw in his first year here 
205 innings. He had a 3.6 ERA, which isn't great, but God, those innings were so vital for the Cardinals yeah. back in 2005. And then from there, he just he was never the same guy again. The, the injuries caught up with him. He had all of the shoulder issues, and that's the guy that everybody pointed to when Michael Walker was going through his issues as well. Same thing now with uh, Alex Reyes. And you, you wish that his career could have gone a different way. I think that's a guy that could have been a dominant pitcher in the 2000s if he was able to stay healthy. But I would have Mark Mulder as one of these guys. It's a one-hit wonder for the Cardinals. Uh, the other one that was brought up was uh, Jeff Weaver. And he, of course, I don't think he was very, I don't think he was very great in the regular season, but I mean, he was so impactful in that team uh, in the postseason. The, somebody texted in to Larry Walker. Larry Walker played two seasons or one and a half. So what we're going by one hit wonders is they only spent one season with these teams. Or they were great for a year and then, and then really it was never the same. A guy that I would throw into this mix. Do you guys remember Troy Gloss back in 2008? Oh, yeah, I do it was remember. The year that we all remember. Was the MVP conversation? He was awesome that season for the Cardinals. Um, it, it, it's the year that everybody remembers as the Ludwig breakout season, but Troy Gloss was right there with him quietly finished the year hitting 270 with an 855 OPS it was one of the best years of his career statistically and then the next year here in St. Louis played 14 games yeah. and then it was over after that like it just <laughs> he was awesome and then boom it came yep. to a crashing in Ben Hoffman of the post dispatch texting me uh Will Clark and everyone's texting it right now yeah. Will Clark 36 years old 12 home runs in what was it 51 games it, it's hard to I, I mean yes of course he comes to mind for me but what year was that? yeah that was 2000 I remember a couple of bullpen arms to me, not so much the position guys. Nishik, Octavio Dotel, awesome. Dotel was good. He wasn't even a full season. He was uh, half of a season. Yeah. Edwin Jackson. Let's not. Th- let's. Oh, not yeah. He was a crucial part of that 2011 team that yeah. won that World Series. Uh, Matt Bowman. I don't know if you'd consider him. I think he only had one good year, and then injuries started to catch up with him. But yeah. remember, he was a Rule Five draft yeah. pick, and he was awesome. He was amazing that yeah. year. And then it was just it was over. It was yeah. like he was great. <laughs> his arm blew out, and then it was done. Yeah. Those are the two that Jeremy Hazel Baker, Hart, Scott Spezio for sure. Those are like Scott Spezio, one month wonders. Yes. <laughs> so uh, on the blue side of this one, and we keep coming up with Cardinals ones, but I mean, I wrote down so many of these for the Blues. I mean, Marty Brodeur. Well, first let's start with Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky. Is the yeah. is the goat of the one hit wonders for the St. Louis Blues? But Marty Brodeur, I was amazed at how many goaltenders I wrote down for these one hit wonders on St. Louis, and that's the issue for the exactly. Blues. Exactly. If you were telling the story of the Blues for the last twenty years prior to their cup it's run, been one hit wonders. It was that you got uh, Marty Brodeur. I wrote down Ryan Miller's name. You got to talk Patrick Laleem because when he came over from the Ottawa Senators, the dude was coming off of like a run to the Eastern Conference Final. Uh, you also bring up Roman Turek's name because he was kind of a one hit wonder for the St. Louis Blues. And then, guys, are we all on board with this? Chucky Sideburns, one-hit wonder? Oh, that's a good one. If he doesn't play past this season with St. Louis, I mean, that's like that's a five-game one-hit wonder, yeah. right? Yeah, the only goalie in Blues history to win his yep. first five stars, yep. if I'm not mistaken. And then a couple of other forwards. Mike Hoffman didn't have the greatest year, but towards the end of it, was that one-hit wonder. Bill Guerin, people remember Bill Guerin. He, of course, resulted in the Blues being able to draft David Perron. Um, Phil Housley, defenseman, Hall of Famer. And then uh, I wrote on here, of course, Pat Maroon. Oh, yeah, but I forgot. I mean, Maroon Pat Maroon here probably for a year. the... He, he, I think the he's right below. He's right below wonder. Wayne Gretzky in the one-hit wonder because he comes over and he's impactful in that Stanley Cup. Scandella, in some ways, he, yeah, he was really good down the stretch oh, of gonna, that season in which be, they traded for him, and then just wasn't the same guy yeah. ever since. If we're gonna do that, Paul DeYoung for the Cardinals. I too. thought you were gonna say Jordan Bennington. I thought about I said, him. Don't you dare! I saw a pop up on the text line, so it made me think of it. Don't I you dare! I thought about him. He's up there. Carter yeah. Hutton. That's a really good yeah. one. Oh, how about a Cardinal uh, that we wanted to bring back? How about Brad Miller? 
He kind of tailed yeah. off at the end of 2020, yeah. but I thought he was really one. good. If they one played a full season, I think he would be yeah. a great one for that. Uh, one. How about this from the 636? I remember this one hit wonder named Brad Thompson. He came up and was fire That's for a bit. Nice. And then dot, dot, dot. And then he became one of the greatest sports personalities in the history of St. Louis. Yeah. That's well, what happened. This is unnecessary 314. Your Darren show Oliver? is a one hit wonder. Darren Oliver, oh. Oliver would be another one that Our, I would put on this yeah. list. Oh, I forgot. Um, the great. Another guy, would you consider Jason Hayward? For something like this, he was here for one year. Yeah, he was yeah, really good, and they tried really to good. resign him. He was really good at the end. He really struggled early on, but yeah, I would say that. I would put him on something. Yeah, like I think this. you have to put him on there. I'm yeah. trying to think if there's any like Scott Stevens, <laughs> one season, and then he gets ripped away from us. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that was a like came up for a year as a, like a prospect or something, and then we Aled Miss Diaz. That's a Diaz really good one. Diaz. I thought he was the future for, I thought, for the yeah, Cardinals. I thought the dude was just done. Like I thought he was just basically fixed the shortstop needs, and then that fell what apart. What about how he's long, still in the league though? He's still a productive player. What about Tommy Pham? He had that one breakout year. I don't know if you consider him more of a one hit wonder because I think he's here multiple years. Yeah. yeah, someone said Carlos Beltran, and that's the thing. Beltran had two great years for the Cardinals. Yeah. That's probably the only Ronnie Belliard. Do you guys remember? Was Ronnie Belliard that impactful for the? I know he was in the playoffs, but I don't remember him being that impactful. Mm. He, he's fine. Someone said Jed Jerko. Actually, I really like Jed Jerko, but I think he was consistent he was multiple for multiple years. years though, so. yeah. he was kind of the same guy. It, it, you really need the guy that like really showed out for yeah. one season, and then either was never back or Khalil. Green. It was a colossal disappointment. What afterwards. about, uh, I can't remember how long he was here. He may have been here for a year and a half. Brandon Moss, friend of the show. He yeah, was really he was here good. that second year and it did not go well. You know what he's well. better at? He was really good early his... and then it went really poorly. What about it was a historically bad September? Remember we talked to him about that. He well, said he, yeah, like, he, was the worst thing ever. Welcome on the show because BK hurt his feelings yeah, about it. Yeah, that's true. Know. Won't respond to us anymore. What about this one? Do you guys remember Brad Penny? Oh, I remember Penny, yeah. Pitcher for the hurt. San Francisco Giants. He got comes over the Cardinals. Grand slam. Yeah, <laughs> hits a grand slam. He gets injured. But in 55 and two-thirds innings, he had a 3.23 ERA for the Cardinals in 2010. Another one-month wonder. Yeah. <laughs> Th- thanks for that grand slam, Brad. Coming up in cool 15 moment, minutes. Great moment. Speaking of guys that will never be a one-hit wonder, Harrison Bader. Is he a legit top five center fielder? Are we sure? I wouldn't even make that case. Somebody on this station did earlier today, what? though. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. But next... Time for Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. PK always tries to get rid of this. Wings? Wings. Believe it or not, I'm walking on stairs. Uh, this is by uh, Joey Scarp- Scarberry? <laughs> yep. I think that's his name. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, it's time for my favorite Terrible segment song. of the week. Believe it or not, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us a scenario, we'll tell if we're believing it or not. Let's start with this one from the 636. Believe it or not, the Blues will score at least five goals tonight, Alex Ferrari. Oh, I'm believing this one, boys. No Shen, no Perron, no Vladdy, no problem for this team. They're going up against Chris Dreider. Dreiger? Sorry if I butchered your name. But 
he's their number two. Um, as we all know, Philip Grubauer, he has not been good for them. But the goalie they're going up against. Isn't this the guy that they got from Car- or from, from Florida? Florida? Yeah, this guy that he's. You he, told me he was good. He's, yeah, he's supposed to be good. He's like 21, 22 years old. Like he's going he's to 27. be 27. Oh, my God. I Maybe I'm thinking of the other one that they have. Well, he has not been good this season for them. He's given up nine goals in his last two games. Five against Edmonton, four against Calgary. Yeah, well, they're good. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bet this one. Not bet this one. I believe in this one. Is this better to forget it? Are no, we sure? No, definitely not. Yeah, I'm gonna believe this one. Five goals for the Blues. Five two final score. Wow. I don't think I'm gonna believe this. I think this is gonna be a low scoring game. I think it's like three one. So I think he'll turn. I think whatever that goalie's name is will turn around. He's due for a good game. And of course, Huso's a stud. So he's only gonna give up like one. Uh, I'll believe it. I think the Blues bounce back. Um, I, I think this is a game that you're going to see them look pretty darn good in. I, I expect a solid performance against one of the worst teams in hockey. Like that's that's the thing. And is, the real deal, James Neal's in the lineup. Yeah, it doesn't change anything for me. I think you're... Nathan Hattrick Walker's in. If I'm going to say earlier today that I expect Saad, Thomas, and Kairou to stick together for not just the next couple of weeks, but potentially for a couple of years to come, then I expect that line to be really productive tonight against Seattle. So that's, I, I'm going to say I believe it. I think the Blues end up with five goals. One of them ends up being the empty netter at the end of the game by oh. Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas puts up another no, goal. No, he's too busy passing season. it. Yeah. 65780 Drop is the pass. air comfort service text line for <laughs> believe pass. it or not. <laughs> Guys, that. believe it or not, the Cardinals will sign at least one reliever to a multi-year contract when things open up. Let me amend this. To a three or more yeah, year I was gonna contract. Say, I was going to believe this one. I won't believe that. Um, I don't. I just don't see them giving up three-year contracts unless it's for a guy that they desperate. Like if it's Kenley Jansen, maybe. But I think we're all thinking that that's not going to happen. So I could see a two-year contract. So that you amended this, I'm not going to believe this. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think I'm not going to believe this because I think they'll do a two-year deal or a one plus one. I don't see them doing three. I, maybe they'll do a two with a team option, but even that I can't see them doing to whoever the free agent is they signed, so I'm not going to believe it. Ow. I'm not going to believe it either. I think they go two years. I think they give more money than I want them to to somebody, but I think it ends up being a two-year deal, so I'm, I'm not going to believe this either. Um, I think they end up with a guy on a two-year, like, $14 million contract. Yeah. Somebody like Andrew Chapin, somebody, something like that, and he ends up having to settle for less than he expected. There might even be an opt-out after year one. By the way, the goalie I was thinking of was Spencer Knight. That's the goalie I was thinking of that's in Florida right now. That's really, really good. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, the Bengals are the most likely four seed or below to make it to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. The Bengals are the most likely team seated fourth or lower to make it to the Super Bowl. Where are the Cardinals and 49ers ranked? That's the NFC side. Oh, so this is just AFC just side. Just AFC side. Yeah. So you've got the Bengals, Raiders, no, Patriots, no. or Steelers. Well, you know I love my Steelers. Wipe the floor with Kansas City. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to believe this one. Bengals are the obvious choice. Joe Burrow, that offense defense will be the part that I'd be the most surprised by but you said it earlier BK they have the best path to a Super Bowl I think I'm picking them to get to the AFC championship game. yeah they got the best path so yeah I'll believe this one yeah I would believe it too just because everybody else I look at has a question mark that I can't overlook like Pittsburgh Big Ben can't overlook that Vegas I just don't really buy into them at all they have a lot of question marks New England I don't trust Mac Jones so yeah I think I got to go Cincinnati I have faith in Joe Burrow he's performed at the 
elite level in college at the college football playoff championship, so I expect him to play well in the playoffs as well. Is anybody believing in the Raiders? <laughs> no. Okay. Who would you believe more, in the Raiders or Steelers? Raiders. Raiders. See, I think I'd believe in the Steelers more. The Steelers are a historic underdog. This is the largest line we've ever seen in the wildcard weekend. The Chiefs are a 12 and a half point favorite against the Steelers. Steelers will cover. Okay. Six. It's not a bad bet. That's a huge line. So, and and Andy Reid typically, when he gets up by 10 or more points, especially in a playoff game, he's going to take the foot off the gas. So, I really don't know why I've become a Steelers fan. Sorry, BK. Believe it or not, it's me. What do you mean you don't know why? Because you're going to be for the Steelers this week. You want to see me cringe. I want to see you cry, actually. The worst part is that that's the last game of the weekend. So, if they lose, we're going to come in on Monday and I'm just going to be a broken man. Even if they don't. I can be a broken man on Tuesday with the Rams losing, possibly. If Pittsburgh makes it close, Ah, it's a pass fail. I, I don't care oh. if it's a close game in the playoffs. I'm always about the curve. What? What are you talking <laughs> about? What? 65780 is the Air curve. Comfort Service tax line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, there will be at least one upset on the NFC side of things this weekend. There will be at least one upset. So the teams that are favored right now, the Eagles are an eight and a half point underdog against the Bucks. The Cowboys are a three-point home favorite against the 49ers, and the Rams are a four-point favorite against the Cardinals. Do you believe there will be an upset on that side? Yeah, I believe it. I think San Francisco is the team that's the upset. I know so many people are thinking Philly might actually be able to pull it off, but that's the one game that I'd sit there and say, don't don't bet against Tom Brady. After that first round, then I would start to believe Bucks are going to lose, but I think San Francisco takes down Dallas. The way they play those final couple of weeks, specifically against the Rams, um, I think that defense is up for the task. Yeah, I'm going to believe that because I, I do believe the 49ers beat the Cowboys, and I'm 50-50 Cardinals-Rams. I'm leaning towards Rams, but I could easily see the Cardinals winning that. I don't have that much faith in Philly beating the Bucks. I think they give them a close game, but I don't see them winning, but I would believe it. Yeah, I think there's going to be at least one upset as well. I would, if I was having to pick one of these where I'm saying like the underdog will win outright, I would pick the 49ers against the Cowboys. I told you guys this early in the week. I have this weird feeling about the Eagles. And what's frustrating me is I think that that's going to become kind of a common theme. I've heard a lot of people now say, the Eagles, watch out for them. Which means that it's probably the exact wrong game See, to be picking why, now. That's like why I'm picking the Lions. They won this past weekend. That's why I'm afraid of saying to the 49ers because I see a lot of people backing the 49ers and it makes me fearful of picking them. Yeah, it, it feels like any time that you get into these spots where you're talking about the team that is the public squad that's the underdog, you, you kind of want to get away from that. Um, and if I'm looking, I looked this up. I'm switching to Pittsburgh. Did Philly come out and say, we're the underdogs, we're just out there to have a good time, so don't bet on us? I think not. So the 49ers are a very public team right now. 58% of the bets are coming in on San Francisco. The Eagles, it's the opposite. There is about 65% of the bets coming in on Tampa Bay, so it's still not, it, there's still not a big-time favorite in terms of the public. Um, that, so, yeah, I, I would probably say if you're looking for a, a surprise team that could get it, make it closer, maybe even win outright. Philly would probably be my team going into this weekend. Six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is the air comfort service text line for believe it or not guys, believe it or not. Jordan Cairo will lead the league in points this season. When you compare it to the amount of time on ice, let's get rid of that. Believe it or not. Jordan Cairo will be top five in the NHL in points this season. Ooh, that's going to be tough. Yeah, that's going to be really tough. I mean, look, McDavid and Drysaddle will be one and two. Where's he at right now? I think he's like top 20, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's tied for like 17 16. or 18. Tied for it? 16. 
Yeah. He's Look, tied, but Drysaddle, McDavid, and Ovechkin are going to be the top three. Um, I think getting to top 10 would be an achievement for him. That's, I, what, that's what you should be aiming for this year is I top 10. I think that's doable. I think top 10 is very doable if he Kaprizov continues what he's right doing. right now is seventh, tied for seventh with 40 points. Kairou has 36, and they've played the same number of games. Yeah. So that's, that's what you're aiming the for. The problem is going to be like some of these guys are having off years if you can even call it an off year, like Brad Marchand, he's got 39 points, 28 games. He's going to have more by the end of it. So yeah, if top 10, top 10 is a reach. Isn't that in line with what he normally does? He's projected right now for 97 points. Well, that's what I'm saying. He hasn't played enough games. I mean, usually his point number is a lot higher. If he, if he were playing the amount of games that he would be, he'd probably be higher than that right now. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to believe this one though. I mean, I think he's going to be right there by top 10, but I think this will be top 15 seems a lot more likely for Jordan Cairo. Yeah, that's that's where I am. I don't top five. I don't think even really discussion. I'm not going to believe that top 10. I could possibly see a top 15. I could definitely see him getting into. So I'm not going to believe it. Yeah, I'm not going to believe it either. I think top 10 is, is what you're hoping for. Top 15, much more realistic. I'm with you guys on that. Coming up in 15 minutes, maybe Jordan Cairo is not going to be top five in the league in scoring, but he could be a representative for the Blues and the All-Star team. Alex will give you the five Blues who deserve to make an All-Star squad this year. That's coming up in 15 minutes. But next, is Harrison Bader a legitimate top five center fielder? I don't believe that. I don't think either of these guys do. But there's somebody on this station who might. I'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Harrison Bader fan fan might be my favorite player on the team. I enjoy watching him play. What do you, what can I say? I, I'm, I'm a man that enjoys himself. Some defense in center field. You're a man who enjoys himself. Some D Cardinals D Harrison Bader. <laughs> Got him. Sounds about right. Earlier today. I remember when we were listening to that quote from, uh, from get up and the guy said, I'm not really sure how to transition from that. There is no way to transition from that. I'm just going to go ahead and move forward and say that earlier today on the show, I found somebody that I think is a bigger fan of Harrison Bader than I am. And I got to be honest with you guys. Impossible. I wasn't sure such an individual existed, but I was listening to character and Smallman and they were talking about a list that we were planning to talk about anybody. Anyways, it's the top 10 center fielders in baseball, according to uh, Buster only over on ESPN.com. He did not have Harrison Bader on his list. He had him on the honorable mention, so he would be 11th on his, on his list of the top 10. Real quick, wasn't there another list that you talked MLB about? MLB Network Radio. Okay, so that's the other one then. Yep. Okay. So this is ESPN.com's. This is from Buster Olney. Did not have Bader as a top 10 player at his position. Here is what it sounded like when the morning show was discussing this list. I have a hard time putting 10 other players before Harrison Bader when it comes to the center field position. Okay, tell me... Uh, just give me a ba- better if Harrison Bader is better than these guys. Mike Trout. No. Starling Marte. Defensively. Can make that legit. Brian Reynolds of the Pirates. Defensively. George Springer of the Blue Jays. Oh, that's a good one. But I-, I would have Bader. I know. I, I was just going to say, I might take Harrison Bader over him. You think about, too, what the Cardinals were when Harrison Bader was out with that injury. It was a different team when he wasn't there. Luis Robert of the White Sox. He's pretty good. 
but I think I might take Bader. Thing Am is, I being Harry the Homer here, though? I don't know. I respect the hell out of Michelle Smallman. She does a great job, and our morning show has been absolutely killing it. I love Harrison Bader. He's one of my favorite players to watch. He's absolutely not a top five center fielder in the sport. Now, Her- are we taking both offense and defense combined in this yes. conversation? Okay. Harrison Bader last year had a legitimate breakout season offensively, finished the year with 16 home runs in 103 games, was very good on the bases, dropped his strikeout rate from 30% in his career down to 21%. He was legitimately solid offensively. Comparing him to Starling Marte or Cedric Mullins or Brian Reynolds or when healthy guys like George George Springer, Springer, Luis Robert, or Mike Trout, like it's just no contest. If you want to talk about, you'll take Harrison Bader right now over Byron Buxton because Buxton is never healthy and defensively, they both are special. I, I could listen to that. I could hear that argument. If you want to take him over Kike Hernandez, who was number 10 on this list, okay, sure. Yeah, I, I get that. If you want to take him over Cattell Marte because you don't think Cattell Marte is a real center fielder, you think he's a second baseman because of how bad he was defensively last year, I'll listen to the argument. Hold on. Is Kike Hernandez on this list? Yes. He can't be on this list in the second baseman list. I, I understand, man. Sure he can. No, he can't. But... I think if you're talking about where does Harrison Bader belong on this list, it's in that 8 to 10 range. Anything above that, I'm just not willing to listen to the argument because those guys are just so much better offensively than what you're getting from Harrison Bader at the plate. Yeah, I mean, he's not top five at all. Like, uh, I mean, they, they brought George Springer's name up. I'm taking George Springer over Harrison Bader any day of the week. And look, he only played 78 games this past season because he was injured once he signs that contract. His 78 games numbers were better than Harrison Bader's 103 game numbers. So I'm and Luis Robert, like Luis Robert is a clear cut option for me here, especially when you look at the way that he gets on base defense, maybe Bader's a little bit better than him, but Definitely. if I'm combining offense and defense, I think it's clear that there are five guys that I would take over Harrison Bader. And then it gets into the conversation of, okay, I can hear it. Luis Robert hit 340 last year when he was healthy. He nah. played in 70 games and nah. hit 340. And what did Cedric Mullins do? He was, he, was, awesome. he was great last year. I don't know if it's real. I don't know if it's going to be able to sustain, yeah, but he was excellent last what, year for the Orioles. His first full season yeah. with the Baltimore Orioles. I think he won a silver slugger in Yeah, he field. did. He was, he like was ninth in MVP rating. He yeah. was, he was in excellent. Baltimore. Finished the in year Baltimore. Hit, hitting 280. Uh, his strikeout rate was below 20%. I mean, he, 30 homers. He was everything you could ask for from it, a center From fielder. the 636, you guys are talking about offense center fielders. Let's go defense. They're not doing defense on this list. It's offense and defense combined. It's like an MVP type of conversation right in the mvp yes you absolutely consider what they do defensively for you but also the offense is important as well it's it's why mike trout is the perfect player he's great defensively he's outstanding on the bases he's really good at the plate like everything you could want from a player he does that's what we're really trying to get at here who's the most well-rounded who's the most valuable center fielder in baseball I love Harrison Bader. I could listen to a legit argument that he's 8 to 10 on this yeah, list. He, he, I think he should be considered in top 10. And if he's not, he's an honorable mention who could get to top 10. Yeah. But there, there's just, it's hard for me to look at him and say top 5, not yet. By the way, for what it's worth, speaking of the Cardinals outfielders on this list, in left field, did you guys see who they had at number 1, Buster Olney? He had Tyler O'Neill as his number 1 left fielder 
in Major League Baseball That's right now. Little, so who are the left fielders? So the other guys that were behind him, because Jesse Winker, who was great last year for the Reds, Randy Rosarena, Joey Gallo, guy. Michael Brantley, Christian Yelich. It's a weak position. Yeah, I was right going to say, that's actually say, a Yelich really bad position. Yelich is six. Yeah, I, I mean, I Andrew Benatendi, who did not have a great year last year in Kansas City, he was in the top ten. Kyle Schwarber, who barely plays in the outfield, really. Like, that guy is probably a DH moving forward in his career. He was listed just on the outside looking in. So it's a weak position, but I think I think they got it right. I, I agree that right now you should have him at number one on that list. Dylan Carlson was an honorable mention as well at in, in right field, which I think is probably yeah, right. I, think I would he, agree. I would think agree at the that. end of next year he should be yeah, top, and when the you top look, ten. And when you look at Tyler O'Neill, I mean, yes, you're taking an offense, but you're also taking a defense considering that he's got a gold Strong. glove yep. for two consecutive years. So I, I think they definitely nailed that one. I'm actually more surprised at how weak the left field position is. Because yeah. like, I didn't think that that was going to be as significant of a drop a strength. off. Used to be a pretty big strength in Major League Baseball. You had a lot of good left fielders on because that Because those names outfield. that you just had. It's where you'd hide your worst defender. Yeah. And so you just put a big bat in left field. Now it's right field. That's right. that's the case. Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, Aaron Judge, Mookie Betts, Kyle Tucker, Nick Cassiano. So that's your top seven in right field. Good Lord. It's absolutely loaded right now. Speaking of these top ten lists, guys. MLB Network Radio, we talked about this a couple of days ago. They're also going through this. Listen, it's a it's a slow time for baseball, so you're getting a lot of a lot of top tens. Um, they put out their top ten designated hitters right now. The reason I wanted to bring this up is because we've talked a lot about how the Cardinals need to improve that position, right? I, I do wonder if maybe we're setting our sights a little bit too high, given what the back end of this top ten list looked like. So at the back end, they had number seven, Trey Mancini, who had a great year last year for Baltimore. Number eight, Jorge Soler who was awful until he got to Atlanta. Number nine, Miguel Cabrera. And number 10, Willie Calhoun. Willie Calhoun last year for the Texas Rangers finished with an OPS of 690. Ooh. Miguel Cabrera last year for the Tigers finished with an OPS of 700. Jorge Soler on the season was at 750. Maybe we are setting our sights a little too high for what we think the Cardinals need to get out of the DH position if these are the top 10 guys at designated hitter. By the way, Nelson Cruz is fifth on this list of the best designated hitters in baseball right now. You want to say it or should I? I don't see J.D. Martinez's name on that list. He was number three. Because I surely he was on the list. <laughs> he, he was <laughs> number he three. What's Kyle Schwarber on this list? Uh, Kyle Schwarber, if he was like officially listed as a designated top hitter, five. I would say he's probably right behind Nelson Cruz well, at number six. He will be designated a designated hitter when he Are joins you, the Cardinals. You think he'd be that low? I think he'd be higher than. I mean, you can't, Shohei you can't. Otani, Jordan Alvarez, JD Martinez, Giancarlo Stanton, Nelson Cruz. I yeah. can't put Schwarber over There's any no of way. those guys. I might put him ahead of Cruz because Cruz really struggled when he went to Tampa yeah, last year. But Cruz still hits 40 bombs for you in a season. Like so Schwarber. I don't know if Schwarber. I don't know if he can do that consistently like Nelson Cruz can. Even even on the whole for last year though. Cruz finished the year with an OPS of 832 and a 130 OPS plus. And that was his worst season in almost a decade. Like, I, I can't push Schwarber over him just as a pure hitter right now. It, it'd be tough for me to be able to do that. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Moral of the story, morning show, even bigger fans of Harrison Bader than we are. And that is a really high bar to clear. That group's now three. Coming up next... Alex has the five blues who are deserving of making an all-star team. This announcement is later on this afternoon. This yeah, evening. six o'clock tonight. I think they're going to announce it on ESPN. Alex is going to give you the five guys that are most deserving of hearing their names called coming up next on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. with the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. So, Alex, later on this evening, they are going to announce the NHL's all-star teams. And if you forgot how this works, the format is a little bit funky. And I do think it's actually going to hurt the Blues this year, the way that they have this formatted. It's the three-on-three, so you get six forwards, three defensemen and two goalies from the central division. And every team has to have at least one player to represent their roster on those squads. So it's really tight and it's tough when you, especially when you look at the forwards to be able to fit multiple guys from the blues. So they're not going to probably get more than one, maybe two players on this roster. But Alex, if you had to put together a list of the five blues who are deserving of making an all-star roster this year, who would it be from the blues? Is this a Ferrari five? It is a Ferrari five on the rewind. T-bone hit it. You almost said it. You're listening to BK and Ferrari. It's time for the Ferrari five, a top five list of very random things. So Ferrari, give us your top five. So this is going to be tough, and like we've already mentioned, I mean, I, I doubt that all of these guys are going to be on here, but I think it's pretty obvious who the five guys that should be on this list for the Blues. No, no, it's not Huso. No, it's not Bennington. So save your mean tweets and mean texts. Number five on this list is Robert Thomas. And I know that seems a little outlandish because his point totals aren't up there with everyone else. But if you look at the amount of assists he has, there's only two guys that have more assists than Robert Thomas in the Central Division. And it's Nazem Kadri and Nathan McKinnon. I don't know how you can deny that when the guy's got 24 assists in the amount of games when he's played 29 games this season. So Robert Thomas, more than anything, deserves to be an all-star for the performance he's put together on top of the fact that you're going to have like five or six more games in this month before you get to the all-star game. Uh, number four on this list, this will surprise people, Justin Falk. So you're going to go Logan Brown. Nope, not Logan Brown. I'll save that for three years from now. Justin Falk is a plus 18 on the season. Among defensemen, I think there are only three guys in the Central Division that have a better plus minus than him, and two of them are on Colorado. But Colorado's plus minus comes an awful lot because of the guys scoring goals with them. Justin Falk, surprisingly, has had a good offensive year, but the amount of time he plays in the defensive zone for the Blues that's even more impressive of what his plus minus looks like. I actually think it's only two in the central division. Oh, that have two. a better. Yeah. It's uh, Taves and Eric Johnson. So both from Colorado. Yep. So he's number four on this list. Number three on this list is Pavel Buchnevich and Pavel Buchnevich. He might have more points by the end of this month than Vladimir Tarasenko, depending on what happens with Vladdy's return off of the COVID list. But Pavel Buchnevich has got 34. He's right there with Vladdy, second on the team. Um, In the season that he has had so far, he's on pace to score, what was it, like 25, 28 goals for the 29, I think, for the Blues. He's on pace right now for 30 goals and 46 assists, And if you you look at wingers in the Central Central Division, Pavel Buchnevich should probably be in the top six on every one of these teams. 
Uh, number two, Vladimir Tarasenko. Just mentioned Vladdy. Of course, he's had an unreal season. And I think the obvious one is Jordan Cairo. Jordan Cairo is one that I can basically guarantee you will be an all-star for this Blues team this year, which is a heck of an accolade for a kid uh, who had a breakout season last year. So that's at least the five that I'm looking at that deserve to be all-stars this season. So the Blues that Alex says are deserving of an all-star team, the top five guys in order, Cairo, Vladdy, Buchnevich, Falk, and Thomas. Those are the top five. Alex, if you had to guess prediction-wise as to who is actually going to get in, I, I would say probably... I think it might end up being Vladdy, actually, just because of name recognition. This is mostly a fan vote, correct? The way that that it's think represented. Only, yeah, I, don't, I thought they only did the captain, and then it's the yeah, coach. I don't think the, the fan okay. vote does goes into this as much as so, it used to. I, I'm very curious to see who they go with from the Blues. I think it'll be between Kairou and Vladimir Tarasenko. If you break this down, and look, everyone has to have a representative. I don't know where Arizona goes, but my guess would be a forward, Keller, Kessel, something like that. Chicago is going to be Seth Jones, more than likely, uh, or Patrick Kane. So you're going to have a forward or a defenseman there. Winnipeg, I mean, it's up in the air. My guess is a Connor Hellebuck. Uh, because his name is always up there. Dallas is going to be Miro Haskinen, and I don't really know if anybody else is going to be there. Minnesota's probably going to have two guys, and Kaprizov is going to be one of them. Maybe three, because they got a couple of depth pieces there. Colorado's going to be the one that might have three or four, because Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, Nazem Kadri all deserve to be on it. My hope is that they'll get somebody in this last man in vote. I, that, that's because I think Blues fans will show out in something like that. I, I think it's likely that the Blues will have three reps. I think Jordan Kyrou, Vladimir Tarasenko, and then it comes down to either Justin Falk or it comes down to Pavel Buchnevich. I hope Buch gets it. Yeah. He's deserving. I, I hope Falk gets it too. I think Falk is, is really deserving for how he's played on the defensive side. And if you talk about the struggles on D, he's been the bright spot. So I, I would say those three are the one that come to mind. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. If you missed anything from today's show, like I said, check it out on the podcast page. Blues versus Kraken tonight. Alex will have your pregame coverage at 6 o'clock. The Fast Lane coming up next. We'll be back tomorrow at 11, right here on 101 ESPN. Can people get this vegetable? By Agra. Take some Viagra for the game, baby. That'll fit that circulation going right. I, I don't so- know how to... You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.